What's up, wrestling fans? Welcome to another episode of the Smartout Moment Smack Talk Podcast. Main event of the week here. We're going to get into another Mount Rushmore. So I'm excited to do that. We're going to talk about Money in the Bank. We're going to talk about oh, a good list of about 20 plus people. Um, run down these superstars and do the usual thing we do here with the Mount Rushmore. So we'll tell you how that all works in a moment. First things first, just to introduce who we are. If you don't know, if you're brand new to the channel, I am Tony Mango. I'm joined by my usuals, Robert D. Felice. Howdy, everybody. Today we'll be talking about Mr. Kennedy. That's exciting. <laughs> and Callum Wiggins. More like the Mountie in a in the bank. Yes. We're gonna get into the Mountie. He never won this. <laughs> he should have. If back in the day, uh, actually, you know, we did that whole thing. Uh, if you want to check out some extra stuff on the dark cast, Rob and I just in the middle of, you know, I don't know, it was like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. or something. We were like, hey, uh, who would have probably won some of these uh, in the past? You know, so you go back in time, you try to figure out who would have cashed in at WrestleMania one, that kind of thing. That's up I on Patreon. Say, we did not put the Mountie. Mountie did not get one of our spots. No, that's that's disappointing. But um, that's over on the Patreon. So check that out if you're interested in it. It's one of the dark casts. All you have to do is donate to the dark cast here. It's also up on the members only side of YouTube. Again, all you got to do is just sign up for that and then you'll get access to that. It's a great way to support us as well. Help keep the lights on here. Help keep us motivated. And if you want to make sure that we do any kind of topic in particular, you can take advantage of the pick your poison tier while you're over there. But if you don't got the spare change to do that or to donate through the applause button or to pick up some merchandise on TeePublic or Redbubble, there's other ways for you to help us out. Before we get into the whole like uh, discussion about the Money in the Bank thing, let me just run those down real quick to remind everybody to check if you are subscribed on YouTube, just in case you might be getting the recommendations and not subscribe because there's some kind of glitches and stuff. So subscribe if you haven't done that already. Ring the little notification bell as well. That way you know when we go live on certain things, when things get uploaded because we don't have like a set like oh at three o'clock on this day is when this gets uploaded it's it's kind of willy-nilly whatever it is uh willy-nilly is related to little nelly and you know all the other <laughs> things that go with the james bond podcast we do over on fanboys which you should obviously check out fanboysanonymous.com subscribe to everything over there follow whether it's fanboys or smart moment follow the facebook and the twitter accounts and uh drop your comments below hit the like button the share button you know, the way that these things work, you, YouTube's been around long enough. If you don't know how YouTube is, I don't know what to tell you. It's kind of like uh, describing to somebody when you say, I'm going to Google it, and then you go, well, what does that mean? It's like, all right, well, you know, what rock are you living under, Dwayne? But No, I imagine that person's well-to-do, so they wouldn't <laughs> need to know what Google is. Well, they just, like, uh, shout something into the atmosphere and somebody does it for them. <laughs> Yeah, because money. I mean, you know. Yeah. They've got money in the bank. They do. <laughs> so, yeah, well, how this works as far as Mount Rushmore itself goes is we are going to have a spirited debate here. We're going to, well, unless we all agree on something. And then if we were like, oh, I think this one, this one, this one, this one. And then we go, yep. And that's the end of it. That'll be kind of a <laughs> lackluster discussion, but it usually isn't the case. Uh, we are going to run down the different people, men and women, who have won the Money in the Bank, and we're going to try to figure out the four representatives that would best represent the Money in the Bank 
as far as right now, we know that in a couple of weeks, we're going to get another Mr. Money in the Bank and Ms. Money in the Bank, maybe some repeat people, maybe people that are be for the first time ever. And of course, we don't know who's going to win, so we can't talk about their great reign or their terrible reign or whatever it might be. But we do know the ones leading up to 2021. And there are anywhere between one to four, I think, people per year, three people at the very least. I know in 2010, we got three for instance, and there's been some times where people have like lost briefcase and stuff. Actually, it might be three might be the limit. I'm looking at that right now. We got three in 2017. We got three in 2020. Yeah, we got a lot of options here. And there's a couple repeats. So we're going to clarify, you know, if we're talking one year or the other one, there's no set determining factor of who can get picked as well. Like, some might argue, well, the one they cashed in is the most important. Some might say it's the journey until the cash in. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's how they won the money in the bank briefcase. Maybe it's whether or not they cashed in successfully is what matters more so than how they cashed in or anything that goes along with that. So we're just going to kind of run through the list here and we're going to try to figure out who the top four are and, you know. We invite you to do the same thing, so drop a comment below and tell us where you end up placing on this list. So normally, we don't have a full, like, we can go one by one with a lot of these things. You know, when we talk about, like, I think the last Mount Rushmore that we did was Mount Rushmore of Entrances, which is just, a, you know, hey, spit a name out there and we'll talk about it kind of thing. I think we should go year by year for this, just to give ourselves a little bit of, like, um, direction and if you're starting off you're starting off with 2005 with edge the first mr money in the bank he won it at wrestlemania 21 held it for 280 days cashed in eventually at new year's revolution and capitalized on john cena in the elimination chamber to do the smartest thing you can possibly do with the money in the bank. And that what that's what earned him the uh, ultimate opportunist nickname where he took the opportunity and a week in John Cena at that point, especially at that point, you know, he's at the top of his game. He is somebody who they're really, really protecting. And the only way he's going to lose is by something like that. Some kind of a screw job sort of thing. So edge wins caps, uh, uh, caps, uh, capitalizes on that and gets the WWE championship. Doesn't hold it super long, but he wins it. And he kind of sets the tone for how this is going to go. I think Edge is somebody who's in the discussion. I wouldn't have started with this just because this is like, he's clearly going on the, Mount Rushmore, and just with the first cash-in alone, never minding the fact that he will factor into several of these next discussions that we will be having, Edge set the tone for Money in the Bank. We did not know what Money in the Bank was. I remember Eric Bischoff saying, all right, so I assume you're just going to fight Batista tonight? And he was like, no, no, I'm going to cash it in when it's best for me. And at the time, you're still thinking... Well, he's got to announce that he's cashing in and then have the match. 
And no, he just cashes in randomly after a chamber and suddenly a new rule that every promotion has, you know, bitten off of is born where you can just have this item that you cash in randomly as a story device. And it's fantastic. I think we also have to just discuss the fact that 2005 was a game changing year for Edge in general. That's when Edge transitions from a guy who could have always just been like a maybe guy, an upper mid carder that occasionally gets opportunity for the title but never wins it, into being somebody who, who could be a bona fide main event talent going forward and be a multi time world champion. 2005, he obviously wins the briefcase in the first match. And the first Money in the Bank ladder match is one of the best Money in the Bank ladder matches as well. It's one of the most memorable at the very least. And, you know, wins it at WrestleMania. Then the whole 2005 is his relationship with Lita, the feud with Kane started off with, then the feud with Matt Hardy afterwards. Um, yeah, and he gets like involved with Ric Flair over the Intercontinental Championship, and then it culminates with the cash-in on John Cena. And again, it's it's really interesting cash-in because you only get that one first opportunity to essentially sneak in with to- the briefcase because once you do it for the first time, and not that everyone's going to like expect you to always use the briefcase that way, but everyone will kind of be waiting to see if whoever's holding the briefcase is going to cash in. Whereas at this point, no one knew how the briefcase really worked. We were told, but we didn't know how it was going to work. So to see it in practice, it was a really like shocking moment, especially because Ed wrestled on that card. He lost, well, he yeah, he lost via DQ in, in, in a Cornell time match with Ric Flair. So he'd already competed on that show just was in some other random feud at this point in time. Then Cena lose, uh, wins the chamber match, and he, you just see Edge come out, hand the briefcase to Vincent Mann, and, yeah, the rest is history. This set the tone for Edge's career as the main event talent. And so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very pivotal cash-in, not just in setting the, the stage for what Money in the Bank would be going forward, but basically a launching pad for Edge's career really it kind of checks off everything that you would want yeah it takes a guy from a mid card or upper mid card spot puts him in the main event gives him his first world championship it's a shock because it you know nobody's had seen it coming before it protects the champion it's a heel which makes more sense because why wouldn't a heel be taking advantage of a situation like that taking advantage of a situation like that in and of itself is something that makes perfect sense because it never makes a whole lot of sense when somebody's like, I'm going to challenge you for this thing and I'm going to give you all the time in the world for whatever, unless they're a baby face and they're just being like, you know, the honorable type of thing, but that's boring. So you get the, like the fan surprise element of it. The fact that they had John Cena in that hell, uh, not hell, uh, elimination chamber meant that that was a good setup for it because they could have just easily not done that. And that card would have been like, yeah, well, we got a hell. Uh, why do we keep wanting to say hell in so much? An Elimination Chamber match. So that's the selling point of the pay-per-view. It's not like they were going like, well, you need something kind of, you know, how like the last hell in a cell that we just had where we were kind of saying, hey, if Brock returns, at least that'll be the type of thing where they go. Well, we got you the Brock thing. Of course, it didn't end up happening. But, uh, you know, like he holds it for 280 days as well. So this is well past the point 
of let's just do this concept and get it out of the way. This is let's do a slow burn. Let's wait for the right moment. I wouldn't quite say it's long-term storytelling. I think the WWE likes that term a little bit too well. It doesn't really apply when it needs to be, but at least this was, let's hold off until we need to do it or it's the right time instead of, ah, just get it out of the way so we don't have to worry about it anymore. We'll see that with some people here on this list. There's some that are just like, we're going to write them off immediately. It's just, nope, not going to happen. I think that Edge for even just this one is worth potentially being in the Mount Rushmore. Is everybody good for putting him in the the maybe pile at least right now? Well, I mean, obviously he's going to be in the maybe pile because we're not even done talking about him in any way, shape, or form. But also you got to give him this. He coined the phrase Mr. Money in the Bank. Everybody uses now he coined the phrase. So he deserves so much credit for what this briefcase is, and that's why I keep saying that. I would have him win it this year just because the state of the briefcase today needs somebody like him to revive it and show what the briefcase can be. Yeah, the complete opposite of what the briefcase stands for. We should definitely do that at uh, Money in the Bank. Well, I don't give the, say- give, the, give the briefcase to an old battered veteran who doesn't who doesn't need another world championship rather than what this what. Basically, Edge's cashing shows what you should do with a briefcase. Give it to an upper mid-card guy, build them up with storylines throughout the year, and then have them cash in and become like a main event or an actual star, rather than give it to a star who's already who's not going to do anything with the briefcase other than maybe win another world championship. Oh, great. I understand. He's already won the world championship. Let's give him another world championship because that makes him slightly more of a star. I understand your point 100%. I just... I don't think people know how to, like, be a star anymore. And at this point, I'd rather have a star hold it. He's already a star. He doesn't need a briefcase. What I'm saying is... Why don't we we give every single title to John Cena, Triple H, Edge, and everything like that, and just leave it? Just leave it like that because there's nobody else... Because nobody else clearly can get over in this company. So why do we even bother having them do matches even? Hey, don't give them ideas. Uh, yeah, I mean, really. Well, what I'm saying here is we're going to get to um, a Baron Corbin at some point in this discussion and go, my God, they really don't even try with the briefcase anymore. Well, yeah, I know, but that's just them being lazy. It's not going to, ch- like, do you think Ed, Edge holding the briefcase is going to make them, well, it might make them care slightly more about it, but it doesn't mean that it's actually going to get any better. It doesn't mean, and also, for, secondly, it doesn't mean they're actually going to learn any lessons after Edge cashes in the briefcase and the next person coming along will be better. So, so I think just keep giving it to young guys and hopefully at one point you're going to start caring about it again. That's basically all we can hope for at this point. I'll say uh, when it comes to this year's Money in the Bank, we don't know who is currently going to compete. We're still missing about half the field for even just like qualifying matches. But I'm really hoping that this year that they do something kind of along the lines of maybe Big E cashes in and beats Bobby Lashley. I'd love to see something like that, but it's another discussion for another day. We'll talk about that in the upcoming weeks. So Edge is in the maybe pile. Now, number two is, you know, for 2006, we got Rob Van Dam. He held it for 70 days, and he is, if I 
uh, actually, no. Okay, I was just going to say, if I remember correctly, but I'm looking at the notes right now, uh, he's not the first one to defend the Money in the Bank briefcase. No, Edge defended Edge it in defended the it, homecoming, uh, yeah. Yeah. But um, RVD calls his shot in advance. He challenges John Cena and successfully wins the title. And just like Edge, doesn't really hold it too much longer after that, but for completely different reasons. Uh, he, you know, ran into a situation with uh, his substance abuse problems that completely killed off his push. And I, I, at this point, every time I say his push, I just think of JR. Every time, I'm just like, push, <laughs> just every single time. But uh, I also want to clarify, he doesn't have substance abuse problems, he just smokes weed. <laughs> and weed's illegal, and, and you shouldn't be carrying like a certain amount of weed in a car or something. Yeah, like wait that. a minute, Tony, did you say that he has substance abuse issues? No, he's just a future pothead, which is like everybody in 2021. <laughs> well, that's how it ends up getting taken away from him, is because of that. And he, has, he has a he has a law enforcement problem, not a drug problem. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a good better way to put it, maybe. But um, RVD is not somebody I think should go on the Mount Rushmore for this. And this is not just my like, you know, I think that over, RVD is overrated thing. I look at this as he didn't hold it in a long enough way that really feels like it's super duper worth it to me. I I kind of think, generally speaking, there's two ways of going about Money in the Bank. You cash it in super quick or you wait for the right time. If you wait a little bit of time and cash it in and it just so happens to happen at a time frame that you could have done something similar anyway without money in the bank, I think it's kind of a waste. So I look at like the RVD thing. Now, that's at a time frame when I wasn't really back to watching yet from my hiatus of watching WWE. So I was getting back into it, but I wasn't fully into it yet. This is around the time that I like uh, WrestleMania 22 is I didn't watch WrestleMania 22 when it happened, but I eventually watched it afterward. And I had seen some of this kind of build up tangentially and a little bit of more of like, you know, oh, there's a uh, Rob Van Dam. Oh, I know Rob Van Dam from, you know, a couple of years ago and he's carrying this briefcase and what's going on with that? I don't know. It's some kind of thing they're doing now. Like that, that kind of thing. I, I still wasn't fully caught up yet, but you could have had Rob Van Dam just win a number one contenders match and fight John Cena. And I feel like it accomplishes the same thing. I'd rule him out as a Mount Rushmore thing. I think that there are so many ways that that could have been better for him and that things could have worked out better if you know he wouldn't have gotten caught with too much weed and stuff so i understand completely and i agree i don't think he's on the mount rushmore but rob van dam you're looking at it from hindsight at the time the the perspective and the perception is edge is just a scumbag who you know took advantage of this briefcase RVD is only number two, so yeah, he announces where he's going to do it because you can still think, okay, that's how this is supposed to be done. You don't know yet that, oh, the briefcase should be used like this, so he has to um, do it a certain way. And then if you're going to do it like this, just have him win a number one contenders match. You don't know that yet. So I'll say that to his credit. 
But yeah, the title reign and everything else that happened wasn't great. So I don't think he's on the Mount Rushmore. Cool briefcase, though. Hmm. That's another factor, too. Uh, if anybody did any kind of personalization, we got to talk about that for sure. And I think he's absolutely in the discussion for Mount Rushmore. I know you two have basically ruled him out already, but my argument well, you would could be... you still spy me. My argument would be that RVD, even though he did, he's like the other type of person to win the briefcase, which is a veteran who has always been on the cusp of a title win and has always just fallen short. And so this is his opportunity to get the title match that he's kind of... He's had opportunities, but the, the opportunity that he's deserved for a long time and has never really been given that level of a push. And so when he wins it at WrestleMania 22, the, the pop is huge because everyone loves Rob Van Dam, even at that point. Yeah, he's and, super over. So, And he feuds with Shelton Benjamin over the briefcase and the Intercontinental Championship. So he's Intercontinental Champion at the same time as being Mr. Money in the Bank for a while as well. So give that to his credit. So it's not like... They continue to push him. He's not like one of these more recent Money in the Bank, Money in the Bank briefcase holders where, okay, so he's won the briefcase so we can start just jobbing him out every single week because he's got the briefcase. So eventually he'll be world champion or he'll get an opportunity at it. They actually continue to keep him in the upper mid-card area. And then I love the, the cash-in on scene of basically saying that he's going to... Because even though it's a, a quote-unquote, like, him giving the champion fair warning he tells cena we're gonna do this at one night stand whereas the basically the interpretation is that cena probably wouldn't have been at one night stand unless rvd said i'm cashing in my briefcase on you here because what what incentive is there for john cena to defend his title in an ecw at an ecw show rvd basically stacks the deck completely against cena by putting it in his own place the the match itself is very is very good, even though obviously it gets a bit chaotic with Edge getting involved and all that stuff. But then you have the massive pop of him winning in front of the ECW faithful. He becomes both WWE and ECW champion for a while. And yeah, the title reign is cut short and it is overall disappointing just because of the way that it ended. But I feel like RVD was a very different type of Money in Bank winner to Edge. And Edge is like the archetype, which a lot of people have followed ever since, like the opportunistic cash-in with a heel person uh, holding the briefcase. But I feel like you needed to have this baby face establishing, like challenging in advance to show that there's there's depth and variety to the briefcase rather than just being a one a one trick pony. I think that RVD's situation it can be kind of summed up as. Uh, I don't know if this is really like um, the best analogy, but it's what popped my mind. Not many people really love Iron Man 2, but you need Iron Man 2 for the entire MCU. As a standalone, it's not the best film, but when you go back and you watch all the movies, you're like, all right, that served a lot of purposes. And like RVD being a baby face and challenging in a different way and being a mid Carter who goes up to the main event and stuff, there are definitely big positives when it comes to that but i look at it and i just kind of go all right well that ended up being kind of a waste in hindsight and we do have to judge it based off of hindsight because now we know how things play out so we know that like we have to judge how they cashed in whether it mat- mattered you know that kind of thing i think that we're just gonna end up coming up with way too many other people that could be on there but i'll put them on the, the maybe list for now just in case i do i do like callum's argument that 
he really shows the other side of what the briefcase could be because when RVD won this briefcase, it did feel like, okay, finally, he's going to win the title because without it, maybe he wouldn't have, you know? And go ahead. I was going to say, I think that your um, analogy of comparing it to Iron Man 2 is you exposing your biases now. Because so. you're you're just saying it because you didn't like the the money in the bank uh, rain or didn't think that it was overall very significant. Whereas actually, probably a lot of people this this might be a lot of people's favorite money in the bank rain because it just because it was RVD. Well, I like Iron Man too. Well, you just said that like <laughs> a lot of people don't like it. Yeah. So you're basically you're basically saying that oh, a lot of people wouldn't think the RVD thing. You don't know that. Have you asked a lot of people? Yeah, that that is true. We've asked two people here, and we both said that we think the RVD one is pretty important. So. Well, for a Mount Rushmore, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like for the, to say, like out of all the people who were successful in uh, the full Ooh. range of Money in the Bank, I've seen plenty of arguments before about uh, Rob Van Dam's Money in the Bank being like, well, Edge was the real person at the feuding with Cena at the time, and he was yeah, just yeah, kind of a stopgap and stuff. So it's like, you know, I'll kind of make the overarching argument that a lot of the people that we're going to be discussing as potential future. Well, as other people that might get onto this Mount Rushmore, they're all just edge copycats. At least RVD's different. And I want to just piggyback on that and say, we're going to talk about a lot of names in a little bit that don't match up to RVD in any way. So even though, yes, you can say a lot about RVD's run and how it played out, he's still up there just because of the fact that like they've had so many duds since then. I will say my general idea for this, I'm not going to weigh the idea of Edge did it and they did something similar so it has no value and only thing that matters to me is whether or not it's different. I'm going to judge entirely based off of the individual reigns and then kind of go back and, and see. So, like, I don't have a four. Like, I haven't actually figured out a four that I would go with yet. Um, but maybe, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll put a Rob Van Dam in the maybe. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying definitively that RVD is going to be in my top list, but I'm going to say that if he's not in the actual Mount Rushmore, he should be on the, the layer below that, like the B tier one. There are definitely some that absolutely 100% are not going to get even a minute's worth of discussion. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it, we only have a list of about 30 people. Maybe even it's not that, that many. It's twenty. It's less than twenty-five, I think. Yeah, and some of them are repeats, so we we're not going to have mm. the same name twice and stuff. So we have about like twenty-something people, and some of them, a, a good like five or six of them, are just like, yeah, absolutely not. So I mean, you know, we'll see. Um, one of them that I can say I think with relative ease that is not going to be on our Mount Rushmore is Mr. Kennedy. <laughs> oh, that this is one that had potential and it kind of posited the idea that we've seen play out in the future with the countdown to wrestlemania idea mm-hmm. and it was it that was an awesome idea that would have been great yeah it was it was a really really good idea whoever came up with it but the fact of the matter is that as soon as like and, and i know we're looking at it through 2021 eyes but as soon as you made that announcement if you if you're watching 2021 you'd think okay well he's not He's probably not even holding the briefcase by the time WrestleMania comes around because <laughs> it just it was it was a great concept and then everything just goes off the rails and Mr. Ken- that's basically the story of Mr. Kennedy's WWE career 
just like oh they've got a lot of ideas here and he has potential but then something is going to go wrong now i think if you're looking in the idea of doing something different you have edge cashes in with a surprise after 280 days rvd calls a shot ahead of time kennedy calling a shot ahead of time but specifically saying i'm going to cash this in at wrestlemania if they could have played that out, that could have been really, really cool for it to be like somebody wins the Royal Rumble and we don't have a number one contender for one of the other belts. And Kennedy is like, you know, kind of lingering this like black cloud above the whole thing. There are negatives that goes along with it, too, because he only holds it for 36 days. That's not long at all. But if we would have seen that play out, there's a chance that maybe two, three, four, five, six, eight, whatever months down the line, people would have been like, why do I care about Kennedy being Mr. Money in the Bank? He said he's not going to cash it in until Mania. So let's just ignore that until April. Could have been like that. That's something we didn't get a chance to see because instead what ends up happening is we get this just slew of injuries. There was something like seven people that got injured in the span of like a month and a half. That shit, That's a bad year. That's a really bad year and a really bad summer. If I'm remembering correctly, what happens is Undertaker gets injured yep. and they're planning on having Mr. Kennedy cash in and surprise win the championship because they need an out. And then Kennedy gets injured. So they have Edge beat Kennedy with the briefcase on the line in essentially a last-ditch effort of, like, well, we just got to do something here, so let's just do that. And Edge cashes in the money in the bank on The Undertaker, who gets taken out after uh, a cage match, I think, with Batista. Yep. Yeah. And then Mark Henry attacks him. Also bringing Mark Henry back. And then... After Edge is champion, then is it Batista that gets injured next? No, no. Edge Edge gets uh, injured soon after that. He has a short feud with Batista over the championship, and then he gets injured. Doesn't but Kane, Batista doesn't Kane Batista or Batista get injured. injured as well? No, because they're fighting Kali. Oh, that's right. They, that's the Kali crap. They yeah. are, but yeah. Batista had an injury that he was actually able to work through. So he was injured, but he was just able to work through it. <laughs> it was just, that was, uh, you know, to quote Conrad with the whole um, you know, snake bit. It was just like, now I'm firmly watching at this point. Like, I mean, it's, it's 2006 is my year of kind of easing back into it. 2007, I am full blown in and I'm watching this go down and I'm like, you know, when Mr. Kennedy wins, I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, I like this Kennedy guy. This is going to be great. And I love Edge, of course, and all this stuff, and Undertaker, and I like Mark Henry, and I like, uh, you know, uh, Kane's involved, and it's just madness. And <laughs> I'm sitting there going, God damn, when's the next switch going to happen? Because it's just like, okay, give it to this guy, okay, gives it to that guy, who passes it to that, who gets injured, who passes it to whatever. So this year is supposed to be Kennedy holding it for an entire year, and instead, in just over a month, Kennedy drops it to Edge, who cashes in on the undertaker and then you know four people get injured and everything and it's this is a mess but it's kind of awesome (laughs) so 
first of all, Kennedy, we still have yet to see somebody go, I'm cashing in at Mania, and then actually follow through. Yeah. So that's still something they can play out in the long run if they want to. Kennedy would have been great. I like the countdown clock on the website. But Edge gives us another rule here. Oh, you can jump shows with mm-hmm. this briefcase. So this is an amazing cash-in because at this point you're like, oh, Batista and Undertaker are fighting again. That's exciting. And all of a sudden they're like, breaking news, Edge wins the world title. What? Like, that came out of nowhere. So this is a great cash-in. Everything else that follows, it sucks. But the cash-in itself is one of the best of all time. And totally on Edge's positivity. Because Kennedy, of course, gets nothing. And Kennedy's injury doesn't even really last long. No, it was a short-term thing. They completely overblew, so he's basically back within a month anyway. Yeah, That's another so... thing, which, which sucks, because they were like, oh yeah, he's going to be out for like six months, and he was back in a month. Poor yeah. guy could have probably been world champion. If he if they would have had the foresight for that, he would have won the championship, and they would have waited a couple weeks or so to have him do anything, and then he would have been, you know, a former world champion, and his whole career probably would have been a completely different trajectory. And I agree with that because even though we're going to talk about a guy in a little bit who does win the world title with this and still does the mid card rounds for the next ten years, Kennedy. If he'd have won it in 07, that was in a time where they still took this shit seriously. So if he'd have been a former world champion, he would have been made. Even just the idea of being able to say you're a former world champion is something that's like a massive, massive boost. Because once you win it once, you can always win it again because they go, well, you know, we did give it to him before, that kind of thing. So it's like Kennedy is absolutely 100% not on this list. He just... He held it for a little over a month. He had a a big proposition that fell through. He didn't end up cashing it in at all. Total failure from Mr. Money in the Bank. And it's not his fault. Edge, though, gets a boost. Because the guy gets that switch over to SmackDown. He gets another surprise cash in. Another world championship reign. And it starts off an amazing feud against Undertaker. Yep. That feud is one of my favorite feuds of all time. And at this point, he's been involved with three of three cash-ins because he helped RVD beat Cena. So I don't know about how you guys feel about it. I think Edge, in a sense, because we're not going to do, you know, Edge number one, Edge number two, or whatever, Edge being with both of these it's just sort of like all right edge is on the list and you factor in both oh of course yeah that's the thing of course edges on this yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> realistically tony this is about the discussion we kind of know most of who the four names are gonna be i don't we know because i think i think that there's uh there's room for debate about a couple of them i think I there's have... two absolute guarantees but yeah an edge one Edge is one of the Edge is the, the only about, guy I'd rather talk about next is the other one. So. Edge is the only one of this whole list that I honestly say there's no discussion. He's absolutely on it. Everybody else, I think there's it's worth a debate. Every single other person, including CM Punk. 
you're wrong there's you're wrong there's the same the same punk is on the matt rushmore well cm punk has the distinction of being the only back-to-back winner he is the first two-time true winner because no, edge, no, of i course. mean he's, he's not the he's not the only back-to-back winner camilla won it back-to-back as well that is correct yeah technically speaking yeah they did kind of yeah. count that as two so um yeah. but, that's what that's what you love me for <laughs> but Edge, uh, he won the first one. He does win a second one. It's not back to back, and it's technically he wins it from somebody else. So he didn't really win the Money in the Bank ladder match. CM Punk did. Now this is weird as well because he wasn't supposed to. <laughs> this was during the time frame where it was very clear Jeff Hardy was heading in that direction, and then Jeff Hardy's problems come back, and it screwed it all. <laughs> Much more applicable. But at WrestleMania 24, CM Punk beats Carlito, Chris Jericho, John Morrison, MVP, Mr. Kennedy, and Shelton Benjamin. He wins that. 92 days later, he cashes in on JBL, right? Remember correctly? Oh, Edge. Why am I thinking JBL? Oh, he feuds with JBL. Because he feuds with JBL. Yeah, I'm just, it's burning my brain that that's a terrible feud with JBL afterward. But he wins the World Heavyweight Championship. That's right, it's on Raw. It's it's cashed in on Edge, and that's the whole like you know Edge got, finally gets cashed in on instead of somebody cashing in on uh, Edge cashing in on somebody else, that kind of thing. That's right. Um, and it's it's, it's the um, rare example of the fact that because the heel was so unlikable at this point and is, has done this stuff in the past twice before that even though the babyface essentially feeds on a prone body, you actually like the babyface more at the end of it. Was it Batista that laid Edge out? Yeah. Okay, that's right. This was like it was, that, uh, it, was the, it was the night before at um, I think it was Night of Champions I believe or yeah. whatever it was being called at, at that point in time. Edge uh, cheated to beat Batista in uh, a Batista like last chance match for the title, and Edge would, Edge was drafted to Raw. So Actually, yeah, Edge, that, was, Edge was drafted to SmackDown, wasn't he? No, Edge was. Oh, was, he, oh, was it Batista cool. was going to Raw? Yeah, and, and Edge was going to leave on SmackDown, so he came. He just came to Raw to gloat. So here's why this happened. They had just done the draft. The two matches at Night of Champions, which were just brand respective world title matches, then became Raw versus SmackDown, uh, WWE World Championship and WWE Championship. And both belts ended up on SmackDown until they started using the Money in the Bank as your get-out-of-jail-free card. Punk cashes in on Edge. The first cash-in that is just like... I don't even know what to call it. Just sort of like a 24-7 rule. Like, there's no match beforehand or after or anything. It's just, oh, Edge is laying in the ring. Let me grab a ref and cash in this briefcase. Sets up another rule that you can just literally do this at the drop of a hat. Punk is now a one-time champion. The belts are fixed. Another great moment involving Edge and the Money in the Bank briefcase. And unfortunately, a shitty championship reign for Punk. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like it's like they gave him the title, and they had no idea about what to do with him for it. Like yeah. he was a popular, he was a popular dude, but clearly he wasn't a Vincent Man guy, and that's something that followed him for his entire career, pretty much. But yeah, he was given he was given the title after having a fairly good run in ECW. Then he was stuck in dead end feud to Batista, where he didn't really beat Batista because because like, Batista cause, was the babyface that we're not beating Batista. He's about to yeah. fight John Cena, and he's the guy and that the they de- like better. So yeah. of course, and then the death knell you feud with JBL, 
So like if you're having a match with JBL at SummerSlam, then you really like they clearly don't give a fuck about your title, right? Yeah, this and- is a couple years past JBL's heyday, so it's not like he's super this hot. Post JBL's first retirement. Yeah, I was gonna say this is post retirement JBL. Yeah, it's just it's really kind of outside of the the Kennedy situation. Punk's the first failure winner of Money in the Bank. He is, and I think if you want to give him an out, you can go, well, that's because he just wasn't supposed to win it. You know, they were gung-ho on Jeff Hardy that year and would remain so until he wins the belt in December. And honestly, I agree with their reasoning. I agree with the idea that Jericho and Michaels needed the world title. But I think there are other ways to get belts off of people than just going, Randy Orton kicked him in the head. So he doesn't actually, he doesn't have a match to win it, and he doesn't have a match to lose it. That's where we're at with CM Punk at this point. And then he goes on to become tag team champions with Kofi Kingston. Like, nothing comes out of this. It's really bad. And Yeah, he becomes, he becomes a triple crown champion in the space of a couple of months after this. Like, he wins the tag titles, and then he wins the Intercontinental Championship. Like in early in like January or like December or something like that. This is at the point where CM Punk, in the eyes of the people making decisions, probably is like a Kofi. Where if you look at Kofi today, Kofi's still there and Kofi's doing awesome. They're probably looking at Punk like, okay, you can be here forever if you want to be, but I don't see you as a star. And that would change with the next one. Yeah, and that does give him the chance to be a former world champion on paper at the very least, and not a great amount of momentum, but enough momentum and enough goodwill and negativity from the fans about how things went down that they switch things up a little bit. And the next year, he wins again. WrestleMania 25, Punk is back-to-back winner. This time, he doesn't hold it as long. Only 63 days. And this time, when he cashes in and takes advantage of another situation, he turns heel in the process. Which well, it's, it's the most interesting thing about this in general. It's, it's not just necessarily the, him being turning heel as a result of the cash-in. He turned heel by winning the briefcase. Because everyone wanted Christian to win the, the briefcase. Everybody right. wanted Christian to win the right. briefcase in that match. And when, he, when Punk won it, he's booed. And this is like this is the catalyst to like the idea of like oh maybe we can actually turn this guy heel and see what he does with it, and they they basically go from Christian let's go for another guy who is synonymous with the TLC ladder matches Jeff Hardy turning on him because everyone loves Jeff Hardy, and it works and, really well for Punk to yeah. cash in on Jeff Hardy, uh, yeah, and that feud with Jeff Hardy is just immense. It, it, like you talk about obviously like um. The Undertaker Edge feud being one of the best in recent memory, and that's that's definitely true. But I think the Punk uh, Hardy feud is right up there as well. Just two completely contradicting cultures. Yeah, and and it just it just works so well about like Jeff Hardy is the guy because because Punk's right in his assessments about the idea of like oh this guy's a screw up and he always like. Whenever opportunity strikes him, he always fails and he always gets in his own way. And like Jeff Hardy's still just super popular though, because even though he is a screw up, he doesn't like make any 
I guess make any bones about who he is or doesn't doesn't like he's not gonna change for anybody and people like have a, a deep amount of respect for that. And also I love the fact that he just throws himself off shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like yeah, so it's it's one of those feuds where you kind of understand what the heel is saying if you're smart enough, but then you still love the guy who's the baby face, like, oh, this guy is a screw up, but we love him. So we don't want we, we hate the fact that you're just calling him out for being what he is essentially yeah you're like uh yeah you're right but don't be a dick about it kind of thing yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a really great example of even just like the turn itself of being like no we are definitively making punk a heel he's cashing in on jeff that's gonna skyrocket his momentum and i really See? i really like uh punk's second time around with this you keep saying they definitively made him a heel. They didn't. The way this played out on television was I I just cashed in on a guy who won a grueling ladder match. If I had cashed in on Edge, you'd be cheering me. What, what, like, I just happened to cash in on a guy. So then they do a three-way feud for a little bit with Edge and Hardy where it's Edge is the definitive bad guy, Punk is the middle ground, and Hardy's the beloved babyface. And then Punk gets into the I'm straight edge, I'm better than you, which is just so good with Jeff Hardy. And I'll say this, SmackDown 09 was underrated in terms of how much good they had going on. And it's a great cash-in. He does get booed at Mania, but that's because Christian just came back to ECW for some reason. And people wanted, hey, if he cashes in, if he wins here, he can cash in on edge. And we can get that match, which we never do. And that's why they boot Punk, and it just keeps going from there. And I love this era of CM Punk. So he is somebody that I'm definitely bumping up on our list. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, again. I, I don't want to like just immediately say that he's going to be in the Mount Rushmore, but he's one of the the he's big top contenders. Option. Yeah, I love the fact we've got we've covered like only four people at the moment, but then again we're gonna get across a lot of people just say nah 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 that sort of thing yeah, but, uh, yeah. it's just interesting like how much more the money in the bank seemed to matter earlier yep. well like, like basically everything with wwe it's a toy that they eventually get tired of and it becomes more of a burden than they actually become something that they can actually do something creative with let's get into one of those ones that's guaranteed no the next one is jack swagger yep. he holds it for two days technically two it's they constituted as five days because SmackDown's recorded in advance kind of a thing. But he wins it at WrestleMania and on the That's next episode of SmackDown that they recorded on Tuesday nights back then and they aired it on Fridays or Thursdays or whatever it was. Um, he cashes in and at this point we're having Chris Jericho and Edge feuding for this championship. Yep. And he just comes out of nowhere and beats Jericho. And it sucks. Like, it's another guy who is in that mid-card range that gets bumped up to the world championship, and they took a shot at making him a guy that they could be, you know, that next level and everything, but it just doesn't work out. And by, is it Money in the Bank next, when he loses it? He loses it at Fatal 4-Way. Fatal 4-Way is when he loses it, yeah. So it's, uh, he drops it to Rey Mysterio. And there's not a damn thing that happens in the meantime that I can remember. It's something that he can hang his hat on for the rest of his career if I'm a former world champion. Yeah, but 
this is another just didn't work kind of things. So swagger for me, it's not because I, I, I like the guy, but this is the one world title win where I go, okay, this is where world title wins stop mattering with this one. Because for some reason, it's not just that they gave it to him. At WrestleMania, he debuts this like new uh, entrance robe. They're literally trying to make him Kurt Angle. With this run, they give him the ankle lock. They do all this stuff to try to make him Kurt Angle. And at the time, Kurt Angle's still very much in the business and very healthy going into uh, going on with TNA. I know, so, very healthy, though. <laughs> Well, Seemingly very healthy. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. He could still go. So it felt like, wow, WWE's at this point where this guy's just going to be bootleg Kurt Angle. That kind of sucks. And this ladder match featured Christian, Ziggler, McIntyre, when he was still the chosen one, Kane, Hardy, MVP, Benjamin. Like, there were better options here. Mm. And we go from Edge and Chris Jericho to Swagger and Big Show. And the swagger soaring eagle, and <laughs> it all it all just sucked. And I think that this is the beginning of the downward turn for WWE in general, not just like the briefcase. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so harsh on Swagger, basically saying that he ruined the WWE, but... Uh... <laughs> no, I'm saying the booking of Swagger began this, like, laziness that they just have fallen into comfort with. There, There's one thing that I credit this Money in the Bank for, is the fact that Swagger didn't fucking mess around with this thing, in the idea that he tried to cash it in immediately on Raw. On who I can't remember who was the who was the was champion. Cena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He so he immediately tried to cash in on Cena and that failed. And so he says, "Okay, I'm just going to take my next opportunity when it comes to it." It's like I would have loved a situation where it's just a guy who's constantly every single week he's trying to cash in, every single week he's trying to do it, and the champion has to always be on his toes because this guy is always going to be cashing in. Yeah, um, been cool. It's, it's not it's not so much a case of like oh he's picking his spot and something like that and waiting for an opportunity. He just sees the champion and he goes for it. And I think that would be a pretty cool gimmick to have for somebody uh, in future. But they obviously just decided, okay, we're going to do it off two days. And yeah, it's, it's just like he wasn't ready. Like the rain itself is largely forgettable. Like again, it's one of those ones where if you know you're feuding with Big Show pretty much out of the gate, then you know it's not going to, it's not probably not going to go too well for you in the long run. You know what though? I'll say this about the booking and like the just unfortunate timing. He's supposed to feud with Taker. Taker's in the fatal four-way. He gets injured and takes some time off. Swagger's supposed to have a little bit of a run with The Undertaker, which at the very least might have produced some matches that said, okay, this guy is legit. Let's keep running with him. But when you're only working with the big show and then you're in a four-way you're screwed it, it, it's one of those examples where you give the briefcase to a guy who you do have plans for you do have uh you do see potential in but you do it you just jump the the gun too soon but like he needed another because he'd only recently i think moved to raw from ecw after a decent run as the champion there and then he moved to raw and basically did nothing 
for a long time. And yeah, that he needed more momentum going into this match to be taken seriously. Or you needed to give him the briefcase and then give him a decent run with the briefcase so he felt like a credible champion rather than a guy who was just, who, who basically maybe seemed like, okay, I know I'm not really championship material, so I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. It's kind of simultaneously rushed where they don't want to wait till he builds himself up to get to the point where it would work better. And then also rushed to just get rid of it instead of being like, all right, you made your bed. Now sleep in it for a little while and see if you could break it in. Well, there's a reason for that as well is because 2010, you have the money in the bank ladder match WrestleMania, but then they're also planning to do a money in the bank pay-per-view. Right. Right. Which they they had to get the briefcase off him quickly. It's a shame that they didn't have the foresight for that to just not do it at WrestleMania. And then have money in the bank as a pay-per-view. And then maybe at that point, maybe Swagger could have naturally gotten to that level. I don't think Swagger gets it. I, I don't mean, think I so. Think, I think that I think they would have gone with some do. kind of a bigger name just for the sake of it. Because what we got was Raw and SmackDown have two separate money in the bank uh, briefcases. And the first one of which is Kane. And the second one is The Miz. Kane barely holds it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is really kind of cool too cuz he cashes in 50 minutes later. He beats Rey Mysterio and that's the first time that we ever get somebody cash in the same day that they are Mr. Money in the Bank. He also takes yeah. advantage of you know he beats the guy that's like, you know, a third his size. And Kane gets his First real world title reign because technically only. he had the belt, but he had it for 24 hours. So it's it counted, but it doesn't count. And at that point, that was well over a decade prior. So mm-hmm. I was super happy about this. He, I love his reign is great. He has a great I, reign. I think I, he he shows so much more mic skills than he's ever done in his career up to this point. And I feel like he really, he felt like a world champion. Yeah. It's like the crowning thing for his career, kind of. And it's great, even just for our Money in the Bank thing, because we get something fun with a quick cash-in. It's a logical cash-in. You know, Rey Mysterio just had a match. And he could pick him up and toss him into the fucking fourth row. Like, he's going to be able to beat a Rey Mysterio that's just gotten beaten down. And Kane does have a good, solid championship reign after that. So it's, yeah, it's not a mid-card guy that you're boosting to the main event, but it's also the first time that you're going, you know what? It doesn't need to be a mid-card guy that could be boosted to the main event. Maybe it's somebody who they never got their chance to have a real world championship reign, and we're going to give it to him now. So that sets a new precedent as well. It can be somebody who's held the championship before, and it can be somebody who their best years are probably behind them, but they can still have another great run. And look, that Undertaker Kane rivalry, it's not their best, but I'd argue that that's Kane at his verbal best. That's a really good version of Kane. And I love this run. And even though it's not like a money in the bank that you think of when you think of money in the bank, this is a phenomenal moment for a guy who really deserved it. I'd put Kane in at least the maybe pile. Yeah, yeah I'd say so. 
I would do the same for The Miz. The Miz wins at that same pay-per-view. He's the Raw representation. And he beats a lot of people that could have beaten him for the position. Ted DiBiase seemed like he was a really good choice at that point. You got Randy Orton, you got Chris Jericho, you got John, uh, John Morrison, you got Edge again. Mark Henry and Everborn. Everborn, pretty much people didn't expect to win. But, I mean, he was still popular and everything, too. So, Miz breaks this barrier. And he's somebody who, at that point, a lot of people still, at this point, don't think that he's somebody who should be some, like, you know, five-time world champion or anything. But Miz goes past what his expectations are. He wins the money in the bank. He is a cocky douchebag heel who can be the weasel. And he holds it for 127 days and he eventually cashes in on Randy Orton. And we get a great moment with the angry Miz girl. And Miz holds the championship for a decent enough reign afterward. I mean, he has his problems where they don't book him really all that well. But for his character, I think this is kind of perfect. He cheats. He's a weasel. He had had this reputation ahead of time of like, well, you're not going to make it. So it's like, oh, this jerk ended up winning only through this like a uh, half-assed kind of means. Not everybody needs to be Brock Lesnar who just beats the shit out of everybody. Some people are just these types of characters, and Miz is great at that. I think that the Miz cash in should have launched. I'm not saying he should have been the Rock. But he should have been solidified in the upper echelon of WWE for that time. And they failed The Miz after he lost the briefcase. But I think it's a really good run with the briefcase. I think he was a great heel champion for that time. Because this is like in the thick of PG, John Cena's in, you know, Fruity Pebble color shirts. Like, this is the thick of that, and The Miz is a great Disney Channel original movie bully, which is exactly (laughs) what they were going for, and I think they failed him, but it's a great cash-in and a great Money in the Bank. So, I think that much like Rob was saying about how Jack Swagger launches the top time where the people just don't really put a lot of emphasis on the world championship anymore... I would say this cash-in and this run as Money in the Bank is the typification of the fact that mediocre is good enough now. I would agree with that. Because I think, and I would say by any other metric, The Miz has had a distinctly mediocre career. See, I think that's where your biases come in. Well, maybe maybe it is advice coming in that regard. I'm not. I'm actually like man enough to own up to it, Tony. But it's like, but it's just the case that I feel like the Miz is a guy who's always should just just have been a perennial mid card, maybe occasional upper mid card guy. I think him, the fact that he's associated with WWE Championship has always, at least in my mind, and again, it is advice is coming in, has always tarnished the WWE Championship to me because he's not worthy of it. He I was, always look at a, it he, as he's, he's, he's a decent talker. He's a guy that worked really hard to go up from being a reality TV star that got bullied in the locker room to be where he ended up uh, getting to. But I just don't think that his reigns, and let's talk about reigns with WWE Championship based off his money in the bank thing, 
are two reigns where you just look at the WWE Championship and be like, no, you don't you don't belong with this title. He feuds with fucking Jerry the King Lawler for most of his reign. <laughs> hey, look, Callum is right here in that I did say Swagger starts that. I do think The Miz and the way they treat him after solidifies that, okay, being the world champion doesn't mean as much as it used to. And while it will always mean something for the person, it no longer means something for the brand. Because, like Callum just said, his first, not his first, but one of his major rivalries is Jerry Lawler. You're going to tell me you waited, by the way, you've had this guy in your company since 92, and you've waited 20 years to go, <laughs> okay, let's let's give him a shot at the title. Yes, I agree with Callum here. It, it's just like, well, as soon as you having those feuds with Jerry Lawler and stuff like that, you just essentially place him as a guy who isn't a real world champion. And I know the way that he wins it is a guy that, like, he's obviously... He's a mid-card guy that's been given his opportunity. But realistically, a guy who wins the title in that regard should have been like the rank that he has later on with the WWE Championship. It should last no longer than a week. And I'll say this. They did him no favors with the way that they booked him going into Mania, where he was like this turd hanging on the end of yeah. Rock versus Cena. Yeah. They did him and- no favor. Oh, well, hold on. They did him no favors in that... He loses in embarrassing fashion to Cena and then loses to Alex Riley, who is literally nobody. So, yes, Miz is stuck around. But again, he means so little in the grand scheme of things. And, and even though he always talked a big game while he was champion, said like, like, this is my moment, like, because I work so hard to get here. And I have no doubt that he works super hard to get there. But. It's like the things I've always said. Being a hard worker doesn't make you a star. And being a hard worker doesn't make you, like, somebody who's worthy of the world championship. The whole, like, you deserve it error and stuff like that. It's like, well, you don't become champion by deserving it. You become champion because you are a champion. There's just something about you. You have that aura of being a champion. I look I think at Miz... Oh, go, go ahead, Danny. I look at the Miz in a situation like... This 2010, this type of era, they've got this split championship and they don't care about both at the same time. And it's very clear with different champions that like this is carried on. It still sometimes happens, but it's less now than it was a couple years ago where like they kind of whether it's the SmackDown or Raw, whether it's Big Gold Bell or the WWE title there's really one champion and then there's the B champion and they go back and forth and they do some other things. And if there was only one championship around this time, it's hard to tell whether or not they would have given this to Kane and done that, or if they would have given this to the Miz or if they would have done something else, but they probably would have gone with somebody other than those two. And maybe it was Jericho at the time, or maybe it's, uh, you know, Orton, whatever it might be, but I don't blame the Miz for a situation like that. I blame WWE for taking a weasel character and not realizing that there's a difference between a weasel that you can get stuff out of and a weasel that you then shit all over. This was the time frame where The Miz could have taken that step forward and then not gone back. And instead, 
by doing things like the Jerry Lawler feud and whatever, they keep that mentality going. Like, and uh, I, I think the fact that we're entering an era now of part timers, we're entering an era where okay, The Rock is going to actually wrestle next year at WrestleMania. We don't know it yet, but like Brock Lesnar is going to become a thing. Triple H and Undertaker, guys who quote unquote really matter, will now be on television for these big events and we're going to tell you that these are the guys that matter and Miz kind of becomes the poster boy for oh we'll go back to you when these guys are gone yeah you know, he's kind of shit but i do think that in the discussion of money in the bank he does propel himself to a world championship he does exhibit the weasel character very well the cash in on orton is fun I think he's a, a really, really solid, worth the discussion, Mr. Money in the Bank. He's in the pile, the maybe pile for me. I think uh, there, there is a time, and I was, I know we were already doing these podcasts. I think it was when Brian came back that I thought he could have had a better run. And yeah. he does go on to do something better with it. But Miz, his only really, really good year in WWE was that 2016 run with the IC title and it seems like that was the only time they were willing to make it seem like he mattered because he's so comfortable playing the oh look at me on the all two player that is because he works so hard but the fact that like the Miz is still kind of playing Disney Channel original movie villain 10 years later it doesn't make sense to me and it kind of says this briefcase is now a prop that doesn't mean as much as it used to. And these belts are now props that don't mean as much as they used to. Miz is one of those guys that suffers from assistant manager problem where he does a lot of the work and gets very little upward, uh, ladder momentum. Now you could argue that maybe he doesn't deserve to win the championship a bunch of times and stuff like that. So, you know, some people would be like, you know, I wouldn't promote that guy to, district manager anyway but i feel like there's been multiple times where the miz could have turned things around and they just decided you're good enough where you are and we don't want to do it kind of a thing same thing for somebody we're going to talk about in a couple spots but um we'll get to ziggler later on we have to go through daniel bryan and alberto del rio first Okay, well, let's definitively say this right now. I don't care if he had the great, if he would have would have had the greatest ever run, and he held the briefcase for multiple like two hundred plus days and uh, won the world championship and had the most amazing run off the back of it. No Mount Rushmore I've ever haven't been a part of is going to have Alberto Del Rio on it. So I co-signed that. I don't even want to talk about him. I don't even want to talk about him. I was literally not going to give him. <laughs> kind of real i yeah, did. I, I wanted to be definitively just saying like there's i'm there's no way that fuck stick is ever going on to any decent mount rushmore I'm going to a mount rushmore of absolute cocks but he's like he's, <laughs> he's never got he is never going on a decent mount rushmore i did uh, not like at all that he won this i understood at the time that they pushed him in a way that they, I, that i didn't agree with and he holds it for 28 days he wins it in a fashion that i didn't like I am so sick and tired of the Del Rio championship era of all that stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a no. It's going to be a no it's for a, me, dog. <laughs> it's a no for all the reasons Callum and Tony mentioned. It's just yeah. no all around. Daniel Bryan's fun, though. And Daniel Bryan, 
I was actually there for the cash-in, which was extra kind of fun, and it's a bias type of a thing that I'll bring to it a little bit, because I did not expect that cash-in to happen. But that's at TLC. As you shouldn't have, because the man said, I was told I'd never made an event in WrestleMania, so I'm going to cash-in at WrestleMania. <laughs> which could be another, like, okay, that's going to be fun, like him doing the, the Kennedy thing we didn't get a chance to see. And then... We just decide, you know, Dace and a couple of friends of mine and I, we're all like, yeah, let's just go to uh, Baltimore and check out TLC. That'll be fun. And when we're there, we're expecting to have a, a night of like, uh, we're chanting for Kevin Nash and we're, you know, watching Mark Henry fight Big Show and we're doing this, we're doing that. And Zack Ryder's going to win the United States Championship, which is really cool. And then I don't know where Daniel Bryan pops up and we're like, what the fuck? Holy shit, this is really cool. But he, is somebody who gets pushed to that extra level. He is a beloved person at this point that people are super happy to see win the money in the bank. He's got this heel character that's switching things up a little bit. And I don't know if I'd go a Mount Rushmore necessarily, but I think it's kind of at least in the discussion to go with Daniel Bryan. I think so. Daniel Bryan's whole WWE career, he's a happy accident. Am I am I right? Like he's not supposed to cash in at TLC, and then when he does, he starts this great obnoxious thing where he just says yes, yes, yes all the time. But he's still like ah, he's kind of obnoxious now. I don't know if I like this guy. They have him lose in 18 seconds, which now the yes thing is over because he is great in the ring and all that, and he ends up becoming one of the top superstars in the company because it was kind of supposed to be a joke that this guy was ever even a thing however i do want to note that brian is the guy where i really started to notice once they give you the briefcase they beat you every week on television yeah he that never really sucks match you know so that's in there for me but brian's fun this is fun i i'm I do agree in the, the sense that as soon as Brian won the briefcase, it was kind of it became apparent this guy he's not really being quote unquote elevated with this title this uh, briefcase because he is losing every week and they still there's still that clear I would say bias but that um, understanding that he's not on a level with other superstars that like Vince sees because he's small and. He's an indie guy. But I love the story they tell in the closing stages of his run as that Money in the Bank holder because he essentially teams up with Big Show. And Big Show is every single week trying to get him to cash in on Mark Henry. And at one point he does cash in on Mark Henry, but we're told that well, apparently you can't cash in on someone who's injured. Which kind of retcons the whole CM Punk cashing on Edge thing, even though Edge wasn't injured, he wasn't like in any he wasn't in any position to compete, but that's neither here nor there. And yeah, that whole that whole narrative they tell of like Brian always getting opportunity and then he eventually cashes in on Big Show, the guy that he's been encouraging him this whole time. And he fuels this like this inbuilt animosity and anger towards Michael Cole because Michael Cole always said that he was never good enough and called him a geek his entire run in NXT and basically just fuels that into a whole like I'm the world champion now and it just becomes a whole but again the whole story of him just becomes more and more obnoxious he becomes more and more he, he, he seems to forget how he won the belt 
would essentially just beat up a guy who had already been knocked yeah. out. There was like and a TLC he, match too, right? Well, it was a chairs match. A chairs match. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's... yeah. And uh, Mark Henry had DDT Big Show onto a bunch of chairs after losing. And Brian just comes out and beat and just pins him. I would, I would love that cash in as well because like he's been knocked out on a bunch of chairs and he doesn't move for about a minute or whatever. And then Brian comes out, cashes in. The second that that, that freak out hits, Big Show is up on his knees. It's like, okay, Big Show probably wasn't too happy about the fact that he had to drop his world championship like a minute afterwards. <laughs> but I feel like the whole run, like Brian's elevation to being the most the, the top baby face in the company within a matter of years starts with this title run and starts with the heel persona that develops off the back of it. And this is when Brian went for being, oh, cool, he's a, he's a good wrestler, he's a good wrestler and he was over in the Indies, so I guess we're supposed to like him in that regard to being a character, a guy with so much, with unbelievable untapped personality that you just never saw in his first like year or so with the company. And... I think that that's like, so this is like the, the, the groundwork for it. I don't know whether it's enough to get him on the full, full Mount Rushmore. He's definitely in the conversation just because I feel like it it meant so much to his career going forward. Yeah, I don't think he's as strong of an entry as Edge, but I do think that he's in that, that range. You know, and it's really fun, too, because this also kicks off a lot of stuff with AJ and that small like little feud that Brian and Punk had. It's all tied into a lot of cool things that you wouldn't think. So, yeah, it's not like this great, well, this kickstarted this, this, this. But there's a lot of fun moments that are kickstarted here. So another fun moment is the next one. Dolph Ziggler wins Money in the Bank, holds it for 267 days. And we're in a situation where... Complete opposite of my idea of uh, of super fun to watch the uh, the TLC cash in because I watch WrestleMania and it's kind of blah in most ways. And then the night after WrestleMania, Dolph Ziggler cashes in and he wins the World Heavyweight Championship on Monday Night Raw. And I go, damn it! If that would have happened on Raw uh, Mania, that would have been at least one of the really good things to stand out. But it's a great cash in. And unfortunately, it's just a great cash-in. Because <laughs> Ziggler is in this range where people wanted him to be that guy in a lot of ways. And people go nuts when he wins this belt and he gets injured. Like, was yep. it like two weeks later or something? <laughs> that that damn swagger just had to kick him in the head concussion it yeah. kinda kills his career yep I think that's fair it's just sort of like well we gave you the ball and it got deflated and it's not your fault that you couldn't dribble it and take it down and score but you didn't so we're just gonna give it to somebody else now and well, Ziggler runs on this still at this day of this you know i should have been the guy type of a thing and of course there's arguments with that we've gotten into before where it's like you know, there's time frames where we're like yeah you should have and that's ridiculous and then there's years where we're just kind of like all right well we get it can you move on and tell another story like you know i want to say that kevin eck who currently works for ring of honor used to work for WWE, tells the story that vince mcmahon said all right we need a raw after mania moment, so we're doing Ziggler. We're not 
pushing Ziggler. So it's like the injury is the cherry on top for Vince to go, see, we're not pushing Ziggler. But I think Ziggler should have been a thing. And his run and his cash-in was probably one of the last two good ones to me. And this is my bias coming through here. Because Ziggler at that point was just on fire. And we could look back on it now and say, he's a little generic, he's a little this, he's a little that. But at that time, when it was like, Cena was at his most obnoxious and Sheamus was at his most obnoxious. Ziggler felt like the one guy, you know, that diehard fans could root for in WWE. Granted, we didn't know, you know, uh, Rollins and Ambrose and all these people would come in making Ziggler's ability to wrestle kind of one in a pile. But Ziggler was over. I wish this cash in meant more. So much went wrong here, even though so much went right. So I'm probably, again, I, I don't want biases to take over with the Ziggler one as well, because we all know what my my takes on Ziggler are, so I don't really want to repeat them in general. But just generally, and maybe this is just due to the, the time frame that it happened in, and because like even though I was watching every single week, it's not exactly a, a stellar period in WWE history. I mean, Frankly, nothing in the last 10 years is, but it's like, so it all kind of fades into some sort of miasma. I don't remember anything about the uh, Dolph Ziggler run as Mr. Money in the Bank outside of one match with John Cena at TLC with the briefcase on the line with the whole like AJ turning on Cena thing. And then the cash in. I'll tell you this. He clearly used that briefcase a lot because by the time he cashes <laughs> it in, that shit is yeah. fucked up. But it's just like it's just like two hundred like so like those are two days. So it's like the rest of it is two hundred and sixty-five days of just him holding the briefcase. I'm sure he talked about it a lot, but nothing about his run sticks out to me. So here was the problem, and we touched on this before when discussing the Miz. This is at an era where there are two championships, and this is firmly in the era where the, the world title is like a slightly shinier intercontinental Mm -hmm. title. So that's another reason that not a lot of what he did mattered until he started picking on Cena, because this is firmly in the era of only the shit that Cena does matters. So when he starts fighting Cena, it becomes, okay, this is more important. And you get this cool pairing with AJ, which I think helped uh, the Dolph Ziggler package out. But Again, I have to say, I agree with Callum because of the era that it's in where not a lot of anything is happening. It is a bit of a blur. But I remember just loving it, though. Maybe that's just the sheer bias of my uh, fandom of Ziggler. So I don't know if you guys are going to agree with me on this one, but this is how I kind of assess this. If we made this specifically, which we're not going to do. Mount Rushmore of Money in the Bank cash-ins, Ziggler's almost guaranteed to be on there. Yeah, but, well, his cash-in is a, is a perfect storm of a guy who a lot of people were really getting behind because, like as Rob says, he was putting a lot of hard work in and was having great matches at this point, and people thought, like, oh, that's cool. Mixed with the fact that you've just come off a pretty meh WrestleMania and you have Alberto Del Rio as your world champion who... Nobody fucking wants as your world champion, right? And a babyface world champion, supposedly. 
but since it's not Mount Rushmore of money the bank cash-ins, that's where I go, uh, I don't know about Ziggler. I'd put him at least maybe in the maybe pile for now, but I don't think it's going to be a strong. He's, I'm not I'm not ruling him out because he's definitely a maybe just based on the strength of the cash-in and how long he held it. And again, he must have used it a lot because that briefcase was dented. But he's unfortunately not a guaranteed yes, which is kind of sad. Certainly not a guaranteed no. And he's somebody that I would say more than likely he'd probably be B tier, but yeah, I'll put him in the, in the maybe pile for now. Okay. Can I just jump to one guaranteed? No, real quick. (laughs) Uh, Damien Sandow. Oh, well we, we passed by John Cena. John, John Cena, I think is a guaranteed no as well. (laughs) That too. Fuck John Cena. Winning that briefcase could have been so cool. John Cena could have had a lot of fun as money in the bank winner. And I don't, there's clearly just a plot device for Raw 1000 to yep. set up the thing with The Rock, but it was more so to set up, hey, Punk is heel. Cool. Because they were kind of floundering with Punk. Because again, at that time, it was just so meh. Yeah, I'll, I'll make the judgment call if you guys disagree. Well, you know, whatever. But I think the John Cena discussion is, well, if we decide to do a Mount Rushmore of worst at the end of this, then we'll talk more Cena. Do yeah. agree. He his his like his whole baby face stick of like challenging punk like in like in advance, a week in advance, it just doesn't sit sit well because it's Cena. Like it's not the same as the RVD one. Like everyone's behind it. It's like, oh, we're going to do it in my backyard. It's better to say, I'm going to be super respectful and say that like, you're a great champion, and that's why I'm going to give you advance warning that I'm going to be cashing in and taking that championship. You just go, oh, fuck off, die, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, and here's another thing: we talked about feuding with the Big Show before being the kiss of death. John Cena is in a feud with the Big Show at this point, and it's like really like, oh man, this fucking guy. Everything about him was just so nauseating at the time. John John Cena's fresh off a feud with John Laurinaitis at this. That point. too, like John Cena at this point just wasn't in a good space, and he didn't need the briefcase, and it just sort of felt like you're giving it to him just so you can say he's done everything. Mm-hmm. I understood, you know. Can I add an extra tick in the negative column because Raw 1000 kicked off the 10-year era of three-hour Raws that has just been <laughs> awful? He also wins it in a match that only has Big Show, Jericho, Kane, and The Miz in it. And it's and only the... Miz the, wasn't even planned for that. It's the, uh, you know, you can only be in this Money in the Bank match if you've won the championship before, which is a dumb concept. That's really stupid. So then, Ziggler should have been in that one then because he's won the world championship beforehand, but he was in the SmackDown one. And they had said that that's because he didn't win the WWE championship kind of thing. Uh-huh. And it was like, uh, well, Kane technically won because he held the WWE title for a day. And like, it was just the whole thing was just stupid. And that's and, another thing. Callum brings up a good point again. They were not treating the brand lines respectfully at that point. So it was just like, why isn't Ziggler in this one? There's just a lot bad about WWE at that point. Yeah, we, we talk about the one good thing about Cena's reign. The memes, the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the fact that he accidentally unhooks the Money in the Bank briefcase by uh, like hitting Big Show repeatedly in the head with it to knock him off, 
on the on the second swing he takes it off so he has to pose with the, the briefcase for a while and then hit him one more time to win just like oh, that's a perfect summation of it just that one moment and that face that he made yeah. too, so perfect of like that era where it's yo yeah i'm so happy to be here and i'm a baby face and just everything about it sucked man and then the next mr money in the bank the same thing uh not in the same way, but the same thing as in it sucked, <laughs> is Damien Sandow, who holds it for 106 days, and he gets to personalize it, and he's not won a mid-card title or anything at that point, but he's fun as hell, and he's interesting, and they go, fuck you, we don't care, and they have him be the first person to really, truly lose, lose. Because really lose. Kennedy loses the briefcase. So it's like, well, he didn't really get a chance. John Cena calls a shot ahead of time, and then it's just a regular match type of a thing. Sandow has the ability to cash in, and he still is a loser. And he jumps. Doesn't he jump him from behind, too? And he still is a loser. Now I'll say this. The match was good. The the match he has with Cena is good. And he cuts a passionate promo afterwards that was also good. But they go nowhere with him. This kills him. This doesn't kill him as much as they were in a transitional phase where they don't care about this. They need to get this out of the way because they've decided that in December they're merging the belts. So we need to get this out of the way. And this kind of kills the whole, you know, silence some Damian Sandow, all that stuff. He had had a decent run with Cody. Because that's another thing. Nobody's expecting him to win here mm. because he comes in as a tag team guy doing a tag team entrance with Cody. And everybody's going, well, clearly uh, Ambrose, who's in the shield, the hottest angle in the company is going to win this briefcase and can maybe salvage this shinier Intercontinental Championship. Because this match features Cesaro, Swagger, and Fandango and Wade Barrett. So we're not looking at Sandow here. He does a cool thing with Cody, because Cody gets super over in that match for some reason. Yeah. And you had a shot. They did the cool personalization. It's just meh. Because that's where we were at the point. I think Sandow's in the discussion as potential worst. I think he is the worst. I think there's still maybe one or two there's more. There's one more worse. <laughs> but yeah, he is. He's a guaranteed no. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I just don't want to talk about some of these people going yeah. forward because well, it's just like, what's the, what's the point? It's like Rob's already said everything that you need to say about Sandow's career. Essentially, Sandow's career is just who the fuck cares. <laughs> well uh we'll touch back on Sandow if we round this out with a with a four uh worst. Randy Orton's the other one that year. And Randy Orton successfully cashes in. <laughs> he only holds it for 35 days, but he is used as a, a tool in a way that sometimes money in the bank can be really useful. You give it to a guy that you go, well, at any point we can give the belt to him and we'll feel comfortable with him being champion. So we'll pull the trigger when we need to, kind of a thing. I don't dislike I, the Randy Orton one. I think the Randy Orton one kicks off 
maybe the like last really hot story in the main event scene for WWE. This kicks off the Daniel Bryan run. And it's awesome. Everything about this is awesome. You know, Triple H finally turning heel after about a decade of just like, ah, I'm Triple H, suck it, you know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> he was, like, he was, that's what he was doing. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm picturing him at like, like a drive-thru. <laughs> And they're like, Hello, sir, can I help you with your order? I'm Triple A, suck it, you know who I am. <laughs> like, that's what he was doing at the point. Randy's great. This was good. It's not on Mount Rushmore because it doesn't matter as far as like the briefcase is concerned, but it's a really good moment. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's an important cash in, but the actual run with the briefcase is pretty much nothing. Yeah. But, so they used it as like they used it as a good device. So this is a, this is a, it's a it's a more than suitable way to use the money in the bank. I have no issue with them giving it to Orton and using it in this way, but it means that well you're basically out of the briefcase at that point because the other ones on Sandow. And I, I kind of I'm one of the maybe one of the few people in the kind of thing that I think they gave the briefcase to Sandow with the intention that Sandow was going to lose. Just to do that for the first pl- time. I don't think I don't think they ever had plans to give Sandow the world title. I thought it's the opportunity to say. Oh, we've we've made it to the point where basically everyone who wins Money in the Bank is going to win the title. So we have to give, we have to have someone mm. lose the cash in. And Sandow was a good fit for that because he's like this super obnoxious, highly intelligent guy and stuff like that. And so he thinks that oh, my odds of winning the title are one hundred percent. And if he's the one that loses, it just like could have his world shatter around him. They could have told a good story off the back of it, but they, as we've noted, they clearly didn't. But I think the intention all along was Sandow was never going to win the title. It could have been the That's case that they just possible. decided, you know, let's make him the type of person people will be happy to see fail. Because they were also very much into that mentality of, no, 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 you're cheering John Cena. You just boo him just because you want to be against us, but you really, really like him. So if we have John Cena beat somebody up, you you really like it. You just don't want to admit it type of a thing. And this is past the... Uh, you know, Zack Ryder is super popular, so let's just have him team up with John Cena, then transition all the heat over to John Cena, and it doesn't work. So then, clearly, that didn't work because the of Zack Ryder. <laughs> like, you know, that that kind of where they're making excuses for those things, and and they they convince themselves of a lot of these things too, because they have Sandow lose constantly, and then suddenly comes around to where it's like, oh, well, that guy's a loser, and it's like, yeah, because you booked him to be a loser, <laughs> you know, like you, and then. You honestly, fake it till you make it type of a thing, and then perception comes reality. And then honestly, he becomes the lobo loser, which isn't a great gimmick, and I hate when people act like it is. But he does the Mizdow stuff, and yeah, Sandow was DOA after this. Mizdow stuff ended up being pretty great, but not something that they could sustain and make a world championship kind of thing. But after Let's that, talk about get, one where they could. After that, we get Seth Rollins, and he holds it for 273 days. And he breaks another part of the barrier for this and sets another rule. You can not only cash in at WrestleMania, you can cash in during a match, which had never been done before. Everything else had been done after a match or before a match had taken place or to set up a match. Nobody had ever cashed in mid-match before. And Rollins has easily one of the best cash-ins. I mean, the guy ends WrestleMania's main event 
throwing the championship around of just like, ha ha ha, fuck you, I won. Now there's lots of problems when it comes to the way that they booked Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar and the different things to that. I've talked about it ad nauseum. You know my opinions. But if we ignore that and we talk about Rollins, Rollins is a fantastic Mr. Money in the Bank. This is a great story. He turns on the shield. He gets the briefcase with the help of Kane because now he's in the authority and he is the favored son. That stuff leading up to it is great. He gets to cash in at Mania because this is one instance where the people won't mind about the get out of jail free card because we booked ourselves into a hole with Reigns and Lesnar. And it's everything about this is perfect and a great use of money in the bank. And Rollins has been a main eventer ever since. So this was a money in the bank that worked. Thumbs up all the way. Yeah, he was a, a very good money in the bank winner. He was a money in the bank winner that actually protected and invested story into because he was part of the authority. So that meant that they had some agency to actually just continually push him. He has a really good feud with Dean Ambrose throughout like uh throughout twenty four uh, and so they yes, they get to feud with each other that has some really good moments. He continues to be part of the authority against Cena and all that stuff. They have they already position him in a main event role where they'd have that excellent match between him, Cena and Lesnar at Royal Rumble, which is the only good thing about that Royal Rumble. And and then yeah, they have the big cash in. Like he has, I think, definitively the greatest cash in of all time. Like it's yeah. just it's just so memorable. Like everybody anybody who watched that moment remembers that moment. The only thing I don't like about it, and this is clearly nitpicky, but he's a heel and the whole place is going nuts and he's like this is a celebratory moment even well, that, though it's you're supposed to be like ah, d- ah, damn Rollins well that's your fault when you make your uh, top baby face the most unlikable person in the entire company <laughs> which is where you go right back to something we've covered a lot here they have done it with their own booking decisions but this is a fantastic cash in and not only in the maybe pile I'd say this is really close to Definitely got to put a pin in. He might be on there. I think he is one of the almost guarantees. Yeah, he's definitely high up there. But I will say the one caveat on Seth Rollins' thing is that his world championship reign, while long, is the complete antithesis of what he was as Mr. Money in the Bank. And the fact that his entire run as WWE champion is a guy who can't win on his own. That's something that through the years, I think, has hurt a lot of people. Like, Edge has a lot of those reigns where it's just he can't win a single match on his own. And I, I agree with you in that regard. I, I don't mind heels having that sort of reign, but you can't you can't Not sustain that week. you can't sustain that reign for nine months because people are gonna get sick of it really quickly. And and unfortunately, and, uh, you don't and even Rollins, get... Rollins has the, realistically one of the best things that happened to him is that he got injured in the middle of that title reign. Yeah. You don't even get to the payoff where it would have been Survivor Series. Okay, Roman's Roman's done it. Roman's beaten Seth Rollins and is finally the guy because Rollins gets injured. So instead, in 2015, we don't have, uh, you know, the, the double 
people winning anymore. And uh, well, we didn't in 2014 either. But Seamus ends up getting it. And this yeah. one, it serves some purposes. And <laughs> it serves the purpose. It's the literal best example of the get out of jail free card I can think of. They are not prepared for anything coming their way. No. WrestleMania 32. And they, hey, we need a heal. They have Sheamus. Sheamus does it. Sheamus is so effective as a heel, probably just because people are sick of him at this point, that he gets Roman Reigns cheered when Roman Reigns eventually <laughs> wins the belt from him on an episode of Raw. But I, I don't like this. I don't like this one at all. This one's just kind of nothing to me. And that's I, not a slight on Sheamus either. That's just the things just, you know, fizzled. I personally think this was a good Money in the Bank run. Because, and I can definitively remember a lot of like watching at this point in time, there was not a single moment that Shane, when Sheamus was holding the briefcase that you didn't know that Sheamus was holding the briefcase. Like, he made it a point to basically, he attempted cash-ins a lot, he was always holding it he was always talking about how he's going to be cashing in and stuff like that he made the briefcase feel like it was an actual big deal and the big cash in i think is it's it's one of those weirdly like it's one of those weird moments in history where something happened that a lot of people didn't like and then something happened that people didn't like as well and they didn't know how to feel about either thing because it's like oh my god it's great that Roman Reigns just immediately lost the title because we didn't want him to win over Ambrose but now Sheamus is holding it and we don't want Sheamus to be holding it as well so it's like an overwhelming sway of negativity coming across that moment and it does eventually get Roman Reigns to be over for about a week or two and then obviously they ruin that because he can't wrestle in a Royal Rumble for that long. He needs to be taken away because that's what gets baby faces over. <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like I, I thought Sheamus as an as a Money in the Bank holder was good. I just think that he at that point in his career, it just nobody wanted to really see Sheamus. So it was it was bad timing. But I feel like when he was given that r- role. He grabbed it with both hands and did the best that he could with it. After that is Dean Ambrose, who holds it for about an hour, and we get this weird situation where at Money in the Bank, the belt switches from all three members of the Shield, which is fun. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's a Money in the Bank, Mount Rushmore type of scenario, but it was cool. It's a, yeah, it's a it's a cool moment. It's a nice little like footnote in history, but that's kind of where it ends, really. Yeah, like I like the Kane one much better. Yeah, I'm not gonna go any yeah. further than that. So, so I love the Shield moment. I think the Shield moment is one of the most fun moments in modern WWE history. But I'm gonna say no to the Mount Rushmore. We got our first women's Money in the Bank winner. The Ms. Money in the Bank is Carmella, who wins it because James Ellsworth helps her. And then they decide to run it back and to do it again on SmackDown and have Carmella win it again. And I feel like, what? (laughs) The whole thing was stupid. I don't like that. 
they constitute that as a second win. It seems like it was just done to be like, let's pop a rating for SmackDown kind of a thing. But Carmella makes the best out of it that she can. You know, she gets some heat from it. She starts wearing gear that's all like, you know, money print and everything. I don't think she's bad. I think she was a great Money in the Bank holder. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think as a Money in the Bank holder, I think she's one of the best. She makes it part of her gimmick. She 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 tries to cash in. Yeah, like like she she takes the Money in the Bank briefcase and makes it her identity. Mm -hmm. The Miz Money in the Bank, the Miller is money, all that stuff. It all resonates from this entire moment. The issue at this point in time, at least for me, is the fact that. I think she did excellently with the, the, the briefcase character. It's just that I don't think that she was she was credible enough Correct. to hold the briefcase. It's one of those weird things where she is so good as a character and she she took this opportunity that she was given and she made it amazing. And I think that she should get a lot of credit for just the run that she had with that briefcase. It really cemented the idea of like well, this is the first women woman holding the briefcase. How are they going to treat it? And it's like, okay, this is setting a really good foundation, which they have never followed up on. But <laughs> I think that it is, it's, it's, it was the point where when she does win the briefcase, you don't feel fulfilled because, and I, w- I was definitely vocal about this and I still stick to it. She wasn't a good wrestler at that point. I think she's a lot better than she, that, than she was at that point now. But at that point, you just look at her and just feel like, no, it, it felt like a Miz cashing. It's just like, it's yeah. someone who gets a lot of airtime and is a really good talker and is, is a good character, but I just don't buy you being that, at that level in the ring. And I would argue the point that that was probably the exact reason they gave it to her. Because they, they could just be like, yeah, well, you know, everybody else, the, the horsewomen can wrestle, but like, she's got the briefcase and you know, she's a great character. That's probably why they gave it to her. But I agree. The follow-up wasn't great, especially because they kept having her beat Asuka. And it was just like, fuck. But Money in the Bank run is great. The two ladder matches were really good, especially the one on SmackDown. And thumbs up for me. Like, obviously, if we had to talk about, about a woman... She'd be the one that's getting the thumbs up because the other two yeah. had a, the other three nothing ran. Oh, the other three had nothing ran. Baron Corbin is the thumbs down. Oh my god! Oh, how do you yeah. take a guy that's a a big guy on the roster and he has at this point shown that there's some potential and that you could do potentially something with him, and then you just make him lose? Because that'll help, you know, like it's just he holds it for 60 days, 58 to be specific, and it's completely pointless. It doesn't help who beat him either. I, li- I like gender, but come on. At this point, everybody's like gender's champion. And then you're going to have a Cena cost Corbin the match. So it's going to be cool that, you know, Cena's the opening match of SummerSlam because they were really into this whole era. For a couple of years with John, where it was like, hey, you know, I'm earning my position and I'm not in the main event all the time, blah, blah, blah. And then fucking Cena just leaves. Mm-hmm. He just goes to Raw to feud with Roman. 
and Baron Corbin's left with his thumb up his ass, and he hasn't recovered from it since. Right. Yeah, it's it's definitely high up there in the list of worst cash-ins of all time. Because not only does he does doesn't fail to cash, he fails to cash in on in many people's eyes, like one of the worst WWE champions in history, in Jinder Mahal. A guy who was a definitive jobber, but he loses it because he's too busy trying to punk out John Cena outside the ring and gets rolled up like a bitch. Yep. And it's just, yeah, he got punked out. And I don't think his credibility has ever really reached a certain level ever since then, especially due to the fact that like he then proceeds into a feud with Cena, which he loses. Yep. But just like, okay, this guy... This guy is always going to be at a certain level. And ever since then, they started, well, the only way we can really wash away the stink of what happened here is making him a maitre d'. And then, yeah, he gets kind of like that Ms. Carmella stuff going on where they go, oh, wow, he can actually be a really good, annoying character. Let's run with that. She's like, I just wanted a badass. Mm-hmm. He's one of the few dudes who's legitimately big. I just want a badass. Yeah, and this is like, uh, this is not Baron Corbin the way that he is now. This is Baron Corbin when he was just wrecking people. And he had won the Under the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, and he could have been like some, you know, big kind of guy, but didn't work out. Alexa Bliss only holds it for about three hours. She wins it at Money in the Bank, and she ends up cashing it in very quickly, of course, that's two hours and 52 minutes. And, uh, like, no, it's not Mount Rushmore for me. I think I remember the podcast going into this where I think I had put all my money on Charlotte and Callum just goes, what are you talking about? Bliss is right there. And sure enough, Callum's right. Bliss gets the win and beats Nia Jax. And that was a great way to get out of that. Because, again, mm-hmm. get a jail free card for money in the bank. But it leads to Ronda winning, which is probably a cool moment for WWE, but not a Mount Rushmore in any way. Yeah, yeah, definitely not Mount Rushmore. It's, it's one of those um, weird moments in history where we now have the Charlotte Flair or it's just like if Charlotte's in the match, you can't really bet against her. Yeah. At this point in, in this point in history, it was like, well, if Bliss is in the match, you can't bet against her because they loved giving belts to Bliss at that point in time. They still do. I mean, they gave a whole gimmick to Bliss. <laughs> yeah, this is currently so, my number one rank to win this year. So she's not the one that I would pick, but she's the number one that I'm like, it's probably going to be bliss. Now, I love bliss. So it, it sounds kind of, you know, but it, that's, you know, I, I had, I had my heart, like, like I was completely like a hundred percent fixed on the fact that, oh, do drop's going to win the, <laughs> the money back. I literally thought do drop's going to win the money in the bank and give it to Eva. And then she's going to cash in on Eva's behalf and Eva's going to become the women's champion. That was just the whole, I'd had the whole storyline planned out in my head for that. And then it's just like, no, apparently they just, they don't like each other anymore already. Oh, yeah, immediately. The whole thing. Yeah. Sort of, God, we'll talk about that a little bit yeah. on the hot tags. This is fucking yeah. but, stupid but, as hell. But Bliss is, at least Bliss's run as champion was somewhat important because it made the transition onto Ronda. Yeah. So it served a purpose, but it's not, definitely not Mount Rushmore material. Because they couldn't just beat Nia Jax. Oh, can we talk about another really awful cash-in? Oh yes, Braun Strowman's. Oh yeah, fucking oh. hell! This is, this is, this is one of like you talk about the other ones. At least the other ones had kind of moments involved in this. This is just a damp squib of a money in the bank rain. It's just it's a guy who 
is like is a big deal and he wins it and he's a popular dude and everything like that and that they decide that okay, he's going to cash it in he says he's going to cash it in at SummerSlam and he gets beaten the fuck up by Brock Lesnar just like <laughs> sit down sit down boy I'm going to lose this title to this guy instead and then they decide okay it's a great chance to now just turn him heel because Roman's the baby face now and he's holding the, the title so let's turn this guy heel have him go after him at Hell in a Cell and have Essentially, he's the first guy to essentially lose his cash in on a no contest. It's so bad, too, because it's just there's no purpose for it other than kind of like the way I took it. If you go back and you listen to the podcasts and stuff, I'm sure I say this, but I took it as like. They did it to make themselves laugh at the people that are going to be pissed about it. Yeah, this was firmly in that era of spite. Crown Jewel sucks because, <laughs> like, yeah, they had they had something with Strowman, but never mind any of that. I'm not gonna belabor that. I just want to talk about Brock Lesnar fucked him up with his own briefcase, chucked it up the ramp, and then probably lost the belt to Roman. Like and that's what a fucking run that is. And the, and then the very next night on Raw. You have like this big moment where Braun Strowman says that like either he is going to cash in or something like that and come down, and then the Shield beating the fuck up, just put him through a table. And we're supposed to cheer those guys, even though they just beat up this other dude three on one, who we're supposed to at least at this point in time think he's a babyface. And so now he aligns himself with Ziggler and McIntyre and one of these, one of the first of many like thrown together <laughs> trios that's purposely to the Shield. Yeah, they got the McIntyre and Lashley and Corbin thing down the line and stuff too. Like, yeah, yeah. it's this is just shit. It's one of the yeah. worst, and it's like for a guy I mean, that I was, likes Braun Strowman as much as I do, I'm like, damn it, that's even worse. You know, I mean, actually, look, just thinking about it, like, there's really no moment of this entire run with him as the briefcase. The only moment is that in the match himself where he basically kills Kevin Owens, but he was in a feud where. Every single week, he was killing Kevin Owens at this point. So it's kind of which led to Kevin Owens moments. quitting and then not quitting. <laughs> yeah, so so it's just a case of I I really think that there's no definitive moment in this entire run of him, other than him getting beaten up with the briefcase with Brock Lesnar by Brock Lesnar. At least with all the other ones, there's at least something that really resonates in the brain. Like this is just such a this this is the first I don't say the first waste of it, but it just felt like. What was the point, almost? 2018 is the year that they apologized that the product was bad, right? Yep. Yeah, it was all Corbin's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Isn't that crazy to think? That was 2018. <laughs> that was four years ago. Uh, That's three years ago. Three years from them saying, we know things have been bad for a while, and we apologize, and we're going to turn things around, and things have only gotten worse in some ways in the past three years, which is just... Another story. Another I know, day. But like, let's talk about the, some of the names that are in that ladder match. There's Bobby Roode, who has had a weird babyface run thus far, but could have been the guy. There's Balor, who I don't understand how they've missed with him every single time. Owens can almost be the same thing. There's Rusev, who I think was still doing, was starting to do the Rusev Day thing, and he's super hot. Um, Samoa Joe's top guy. All you have to Joe do is pull the trigger. And the this is the part where like, oh, the Miz should have cashed in on Daniel Bryan and been a shit bag. 
and they didn't do it because they did this. Awful. We get Bailey next. She holds it for an hour and 20 minutes because they just want to do the surprise cash in thing. And this is one of these weird things where technically speaking, Bailey doesn't hold it for a full year after that, when she wins the title, because they had to give it to Charlotte for four days or five days or whatever it was. But Bailey kicks off what is essentially a year and a half long title reign with this, but it's just kind of a thing. Like, for a Mount Rushmore of Money in the Bank, I don't think it factors in because it's more so Mount Rushmore of SmackDown Women's Champions or Mount Rushmore of what, you know, like other kind of things like that. But not Money in the Bank. This is her CM Punk Money in the Bank 2011 win where he wins the belt. And doesn't hold it for 434 days, even though all those things are kind of conflated into one. That's kind of how it is for Bailey, where it's like she does have that five day layoff where she cuts her hair and all that. But it's all kind of seen as one thing. But this doesn't mean much for money in the bank. Yeah, it's just um, for the second straight year, the women's one is immediately cashed in on because, oh, we've already sold all our Becky two belts merchandise. So we don't need to have her hold the, it feels a bit yeah. like we we can't actually think of a way for her to hold both belts for longer than a month. So we're going to give it to Charlotte, but then have Charlotte immediately drop it to Bailey. So yeah, that's because we got to get Charlotte one step closer to 15. Mm-hmm. And in that yeah. way, people get a big sh- uh, surprise, shocking cash in. They'll be happy. Bailey wins. They'll be happy. We have a baby face. But it's not Becky, so she doesn't have to do the double travel. And it was very functional, but that doesn't mean that it's good. Or at least not Mount Rushmore good. good. I think it ended up being good, but not Mount Rushmore. Brock Lesnar's the other one that year. And Brock has the <laughs> for 56 days, and he has one very, very good thing about it. Boombox Brock is fucking great. <laughs> it, it, it's one of the greatest things that he's ever done in terms of just being yeah. a character. <laughs> like he has, he's an awesome wrestler and he's had awesome matches. But then just that one moment, it's that and the mariachi band is like those sort of things where you just go, "Wow, this guy is this guy is a lot of fun." Now, if Brock- we did Mount Rushmore of Money in the Bank briefcases, Boombox probably number Brock one. Lesnar, there, there's so much fun shit here. Not the least of which being, he wasn't in the match. <laughs> his music. It, that's the best shit. He wasn't in it this match at all. They just hit the man's music. And he wins. And they let it stick. <laughs> and it makes and it, it seem <laughs> like Mustafa Ali is going to win. And it ends up being Brock. And, it's just... and there's no hint at Brock Lesnar at this point. He had lost to Rollins and kind of went away. I think he was doing the whole, I'm going to go back to UFC thing. But he just steals the briefcase and comes out the next night and uses it as a boombox. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I think there was, I, I thought there was, like, there was so much potential with this, this briefcase home because it's literally just a guy who could kill you at any moment. He's holding the briefcase. And if you stretched it out for long enough, then it's just a case of like, and just told the story that Brock just doesn't want to turn up. Or anything along those lines, because that's what Brock does. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he's just there, one episode of Raw or SmackDown or one pay per view, and he just comes in. It doesn't matter if the guy 
I would love it if it was just a case of like the guy has a match coming up, like like either Kofi or Seth or whoever is the world champion at that point in time has a match coming up, and Brock beats him before the match can take place. Yeah, and then just beats the no, guy who he takes on afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and then beats and then beats the guy that he was supposed to be facing afterwards. I just cool. feel like that would be that would have been that would be just such a great way for Lesnar to show up. But it, it's such it's so wasted because it's just like okay, we'll have him hold it for two months and then he's just going to cash in on Seth, and then Seth's going to beat him straight afterwards. Yeah, they really dropped the ball with this because, I mean, at the time, if you go back and you check out the things, I'm, of course, partially just really upset because I'm just kind of like, God damn it, they're going to put it on Brock again and it's going to hold it for another year and whatever. But I kept saying for a while until, of course, he cashed it in. I was like, you know what, though, maybe they're going to have him wait until October and he's going to cash in on the first SmackDown on Fox. Which is what he should have done. End up doing a, a different thing in the same fashion anyway and beat Kofi Kingston. But this is the type of thing where it's like the boombox thing is great. All the rest of it is just wasted opportunity. And I think they didn't do that because there were so many people who could see right through it and go, all right, first SmackDown on Fox, Kofi's dead. And that ended up happening, but they felt the need to Swerve. give Seth another win which, by the way, kind of led to this whole Messiah downfall because people turned on him because now they don't like him because he's the baby face that wins everything. Mm-hmm. And the one big mistake here was that Baron Corbin in the match before Brock cashes in hits Becky with the end of days. Brock Lesnar could have F5 Becky Lynch and that would have even made it even better. <laughs> you know, like just. There's so much catches it on Becky. It's like <laughs> there's so much you can do with Brock, and sometimes they just get lazy. But thumbs up for Boombox Brock all the way. Mm. I've just like again just fantasy booking in my mind. Just like, wouldn't you think it would be amazing if like he did the thing where he takes out Becky as well as Seth, then he stacks them on top of each other, pins both of them, takes the Universal Championship, and gives the Raw Women's Championship to Sable. <laughs> <laughs> Like, would have been great. At least would have been something. So, following year after that, 2020, we have both the men's and the women's happen at the same time in a freaking garbage match that's just stupid and I hate it, where Asuka and Otis win. And Asuka, the night afterward on Monday Night Raw, she is considering uh, cashing in for the championship, and we get this weird set of notices about things where it's like she's gonna cash in and it's gonna be this and it's gonna be that and it's revealed that she does technically cash in but she's given the championship because Becky Lynch is pregnant and that's not happening for a match she's the new champion now and it's a great moment it sucks that it's not in front of fans because man how cool would that have been but Asuka wins this Kind of by default, not at all, I'm sure, what their plans were a month prior. But unfortunately for Asuka, she spends an entire year where they don't give a shit that she's champion. They book Lacey Evans and Zelina Vega, and they book... They bring over Raw, uh, uh, Bailey and Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks from SmackDown over to Raw 
because they clearly feel like Asuka does not have the staying power to be like a draw as champion. Everybody is the bigger priority over her. Lana getting slammed through tables by Nia Jax is a bigger story than Asuka being champion. So it's not Asuka's fault. But that's why when Rhea Ripley beat her at Mania, it was like, okay, at least this is over now. It's a mercy kill, kind of. Yeah. And then, of course, now they've been screwing up Rhea, so... I'm looking at Wikipedia just as like a refresher for how fucking weird 2020 was. It says she held the contract for 25 days because that match was taped a month in advance of it actually taking place, (laughs) which is incredible. So nuts. Yeah. (laughs) But Becky, this is a big moment because it just came out of nowhere. Like, Hey, Becky's pregnant, Asuka's champion. And yeah, we got the year that we got. It's still about the worst thing that happened with Money in the Bank, because Otis had it. Otis wins at the same time. He holds it for over 160 days, 193 technically, but 168 according to the WWE recognition. And they they give it to him as a joke. And everybody can see through it, just fully transparent. Everybody's like, you gave it to him because you thought it's funny. And there's plenty of podcasts where we're talking about it, where we're like, he's not going to win. There's no way he wins the world championship. And he doesn't even get a chance to cash in because they take about two weeks where he goes, hey, maybe I'll cash in and I'm just going to kind of do my thing and I'm going to you know, rub my belly. And then he disappears. And for a couple of months, they kill all of his momentum to the point where he eventually feuds with the Miz and loses the contract because Tucker turns on him and they don't even bother to do a Tucker and Otis feud. They separate the two different brands. Tucker eventually gets fired. Miz wins the championship eventually after a while as a complete screw job. Just for the sake to get it on to Bobby Lashley. This 2020 may be the worst overall year for Money in the Bank. Hold on. And then you got to throw in there that Miz cashed in at TLC. Lost. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he did technically. And they, yeah. And then they retconned that. They go, well, oh, Morrison did it for you. So sorry. Here you go. I don't dislike that as much as some of the other things, but it is kind of just another extra. The whole whole package, though, like that is why I'm saying I don't know who's going to win this year. We don't know everybody that's in there yet, but they've got to have a good run, man, because this briefcase is dead. Uh, This sucked. None of these are on the Mount Rushmore. No. Uh, Yeah, yeah, these two aren't on the Mount Rushmore because Asuka. Asuka, I, I don't know whether Evan Class like Asuka's win is the Money in the Bank win because realistically it was a match for the women, Raw Women's Championship. We just didn't know it. Yeah, because the title was in the briefcase. So it was like, it, it, I guess it's a blend of like she won both Money in the Bank and the Raw Women's Championship at the same time. But she's probably, she's, realistically, she's the only ever Money in the Bank holder outside of Kennedy, obviously, because, but he lost the briefcase. I know it's obviously because they lost the briefcase, but the one who still held the briefcase but never actually cashed in yeah it's weird won the title just like this again it's really 
or at least they did something different, I guess. But it's just like it's a really uh, weird circumstance. And Otis, it was just like, oh, Otis makes Vince laugh. So he's going to give Vince, he's going to do that. And they have absolutely no idea where to do it, but he still makes Vince laugh. And then he stops making Vince laugh. And so, oh, why, why the fuck are we giving this guy the yeah. the briefcase? It's like, I'll put it on the Miz and see what he does with it. And with Miz, it's like, it's it's several years too late for him to hold the title. Like, he's his, his eventual run as WWE Championship serves a purpose in transitioning from Drew to Bobby and then launching, like, a three-month feud between Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre. But I just don't feel like I feel like you 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 might as well have done that with someone at least different. I do want to say this for the Miz: the episode of Raw that is entirely centered around Miz versus Bobby Lashley is one of the most cohesive stories, yeah. just in a vacuum, ever told on WWE TV. You don't need to have watched it for years to know this guy's champion. This dude who's an actual athlete is going to kill him, and he's trying to avoid that. And eventually, when he can't run away anymore, Lashley beats him in, like, 30 seconds. Fantastic. There's two things that... Eh, there's probably more, if I can think of it. Two off the top of my head, though, that they haven't done yet with Money in the Bank that I really wish that they would do. One of them being... When they had this whole switch with Otis and the Miz one, I thought that they were going to pull the trigger potentially on this, where... It just keeps getting passed around. Like Miz could have lost it to somebody else. And then that person could have lost it to somebody else. And we could have had like five Mr. Money in the Banks. I don't think it's something that you can really do unless it ends up being just like, you know, hey, this is kind of how this is working. But there's also a thing that I was hoping could potentially happen with the Miz where he was getting like, relatively speaking, I mean, Money in the Bank happened in, uh, it was it was um May, right? May twenty twenty? Uh, May May eleventh yeah, is when uh Oscar won the the championship. So yeah, uh you know, early May. Miz ends up cashing in and winning this belt and doing all this kind of stuff after Elimination Chamber. So there's not that much time between the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view and Money in the Bank pay-per-view if they would have done that the way that it was. I was kind of hoping that they would have done a story, which I think it still do, but it's it's kind of harder now, where Miz didn't get a chance to cash in until Money in the Bank. And they could have done a thing where he tries to argue, no, 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 I've only been Mr. Money in the Bank since October. I've got until October. And they go, no, the Money in the Bank contract is from Money in the Bank to Money in the Bank. You are running out of time. You have to cash in. And then you could tell a story with somebody like The Miz, because Miz is a perfect character to do this, because he's a weasel heel and he's somebody who can lose and stuff, of him trying desperately to cash in because he's running out of time. And every time he tries to cash in, it's like, whether it's McIntyre or if it's somebody else, I know, whoever, it doesn't really matter. But like, he tries to cash in and then it's like, uh, it's not the right time and all that. No, 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 no. I don't catch in. Maybe next week. Fuck, I'm running out of time. That kind of a thing. I think that would have been kind of cool. But, well, I still haven't gotten that yet. Eh? Yeah, they really need to do the whole, hey, you're running out of time. You know, because that would be a great one. Somebody cashing in at Mania, like, properly just saying, you know, nope, I'm in this WrestleMania event because I want to main event Mania. 
would be a really cool one. Um, somebody just, you know, like you said, getting it tossed around and then you can factor in the, okay, it's got tossed around all these different times. Now you have like 24 hours to cash in. Yeah, you can still do fun stuff with this briefcase, but they're lazy with it. It's a get out of jail free card for them and they don't care. Oh, Riddle. I heard Riddle say this shit on Raw Talk where he's like, I could technically use it for the Intercontinental title or the tag t- I Don't start doing that shit. That's a bad precedent to set because then you can just say, uh, well, we don't even have to put it on a main eventer. I wouldn't mind them doing that if there's a proper story to tell where they could just say you could challenge for any championship, but I don't think that they should just too, do it's it. It's too slippery of a slope. I don't trust them to not go down a bad road. <laughs> but there is potential. like that, that could have been something like The Miz could have done at some point and been like, I want that Intercontinental Championship back. That's my title, that kind of thing. But they didn't. So ultimately, we're down to... If we're, if we're looking at the Mount Rushmore types. We've got about like 10 options that we had ran through. We're locking in Edge, right? Locking and Edge, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think Locking and Punk, like I feel like punk. we're Locking and Rollins potentially. Mm. I'd go Rollins too. Uh, all right, then. I mean, if I'll do your thing and my thing doesn't matter, but I'd come in with Punk. He's definitely in the the running. Um, the other people that we have kind of in that maybe pile are to varying degrees. Uh, we have got Punk, we've got Kane, The Miz. Daniel Bryan, Dolph Ziggler, Carmella, Randy Orton, and Rob Van Dam. I think that's in that's not enough medical order. I thought I had enough medical order, not even close. So <laughs> Kane's, uh, Kane's above Bryan and you know, okay, whatever. Um, so I, I'm gonna rule out Randy Orton because that's cool. As much as it sets the stage for something big, it's not a memorable cash in. It's just sort of to add to the resume. I'm gonna rule out Carmella for me, because it's a good cash in. But I don't know if it stands in the pantheon of Money in the Bank. At least those two rolled out. Just to yeah, uh, I'd, I'd... just to give you guys a better idea, I'm going to send this to you guys in Skype so you can see the full list. Easier than me just saying it out loud. Yeah, I would. So from this list, for me, it's Punk and Ziggler. I think I would lean towards. Oh, man, that's kind of tough. I think I would take. Uh, fuck. <laughs> Every Cal, time I look at this, I go, I go, what? There's, there's three. Punk there's... and Brian. Punk and Brian? Yep. And you were saying Punk yep. and Ziggler? You know what? Hey. Is that what you're saying, you're saying, Rob? Yeah, that's what I was saying. I'm cool with with Punk being there for all three of us. If you guys go for two, then that's already two, but I'm I'm cool with making Punk a three. Hold on. So you're saying Brian because it launched everything? I think it's I think it's a better run with it's a more memorable run with the briefcase than Ziggler's one is. See, I think if we're just talking runs with the briefcase, Ziggler has it. But there is the I don't remember. Uh, and again, I was watching all of this thing. I don't remember anything that Ziggler did with the briefcase. Well, the again, only thing I remember, I remember quite about, a lot of what Brian did. So. The only thing I remember about Brian is that he was losing all the time, and then Big Show was trying to get him to break his word. 
Was was Ziggler like pushed at this point? Yeah, really. It wasn't. No, it wasn't really. Was he? Like Uh, this is the part where like Jericho uh, loses to him at SummerSlam. He's got um, a few matches for the world title, even though he's got the briefcase against Sheamus. He was like kind of this in between guy because they kept doing Sheamus and Del Rio, and he was like the third wheel to that. But he was pushed more than Brian was when Brian had the briefcase. So I would lean more towards either The Miz or maybe a case, oddly enough, and it's not strong case, I'll admit it, but maybe a case for Kane. Because I do kind of want to factor in cash-in types and different things, too. Kane is a one you know, immediately won the championship type of thing. He is somebody who you give him a world championship reign. That's a solid world championship reign afterward. And you bump him up to a level that he hadn't quite been at before. And he's an established name that wins it. And it's not in a bad way. Kind of like when Cena wins it, people are like, ah, fuck, what the hell? But when Kane wins it, people are like, oh, it's pretty cool. Kane finally got that. So it's a positive kind of all the way around. And I put the Miz in the ranking potentially as he's got a fun cash in similar to Ziggler. Not as big of a moment as Ziggler, but we got like the angry Miz girl and stuff. And I think that the Miz plays the weasel character role. I think overall the Miz has a better run with the money in the bank afterward, like as champion than Ziggler does just because of the injury. So I'd put Miz over Ziggler. I'd put Ziggler over Brian. And then it's mostly a matter of the Kane thing for me. I think I'd lean more towards Miz being my number four. He also is a guy who won it twice and he's successful in cashing in both times. Oh, I'll, I'll just go through my thought process right now. So my, my, my fourth pick is Brian because I feel like, I feel like he had a, a fun, especially closing run with the briefcase. And I feel like he was someone who was out of left field, so a lot of people didn't expect it, and it was a feel-good moment at that point. And then he transitions from the briefcase into having a really stellar career, from a career that was kind of people wanted to see him do well, but was kind of floundering on the main roster because they just didn't seem to have any plans for him. He basically used this opportunity and launched a great career off the back of it. And so I feel like this is a, a big catalyst for it. So I think it's more important... Uh, briefcase hold uh, him holding the briefcase is more important to him than it is for any of the other people on this list. I would say that after that, I would go up Rob Van Dam because if we're talking about if we're talking about different cash ins, his one was a very d- different cash in, and he also fits into the camp of someone who, okay, it's cool that um, like he's a guy who we always wanted to reach that world championship level, but was always kind of held back, or there was a reason why he never achieved that level. The thing that would hold him back is the fact that his reign afterwards isn't very good. So if I was going with all the rest of them and just going to order, it would be Brian, uh, RVD, then probably Ziggler, then I'd probably go Carmella, then Miz, then Kane. So I guess let's go one by one here with this. And um, with uh, with mine, I've got Miz, Kane, Ziggler, Brian. I think we can rest assured Randy Orton's not. And everybody ruled him out. Yeah. And Carmella, I think we all eventually would agree to somebody else over Carmella. Mm. I'm definitely not voting uh, Rob Van Dam in my fourth over 
Miz, Kane, Ziggler, and Brian. So if that were to be like, you know, uh, Count goes with Brian, I'd pick Brian over RVD. If Rob goes with Ziggler, I'd pick Ziggler over RVD. So RVD's kind of out of there. Probably most likely not a case for Kane, right? No. So it's pretty much down to Miz, Ziggler, and Brian. Uh, you want Miz. I Rob want Miz. Ziggler. It's it's those three. <laughs> and, and, and realistically, it's just a point of like, I'm not going to be happy with one of the other two going in. And it's one of those points where I will accept the result, but I will never agree with the result if one of the other two goes in over Brian. Well, the diplomatic way to do this is always, if you can't pick your guy, who are you picking? <laughs> so, like, if I have to pick between Ziggler and Brian, now, if, uh, like, if Callum has to pick between Ziggler and Miz, you're going Ziggler. Yeah. I know if you're picking out Ziggler and Brian, you're going Ziggler as well. And... Rob, if you're picking Miz and Brian. I'm going Miz. So mathematically, it, it leans more towards Ziggler, even though uh, Rob, Rob would Rob. pick. If that... we're going Zig- to put Ziggler in, tell me one thing he did with the briefcase other than that one match with John Cena and the cash-in. Tell me one thing, and I will let you go in for it. He, he used it to help him beat Jericho. Okay, look, 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 fine. You gave me that one thing. I did say that thing. So, but, look, I, I told you that one thing. Like, if you, t- if you could tell me that moment, then that's fine. That's like, I'm a man of my word. So, Diggler goes in. And it is, it is something that it's worth talking about how that was one of the biggest pops. I, I think either way, this discussion really goes from, wow, these guys are solid because look at the booking here, to, well, there's a trade here between these three to, Look at all these no's. Yeah, it's kind of... But let's talk about the no's real quick. Let's, you know, it's not going to be a, a big, long discussion. This has already gone longer than I expected that it would, but our potentials for the worst. We've got... If I'm, you know, balancing this out correctly, I don't think that we had Seamus, Ambrose, Bliss, Bailey, Lesnar, Asuka, uh, yeah, Otis might be uh, on the worst. It kind of seems like it's... This is not in any kind of order. It's all jambled. Um, Kennedy, you- Kennedy, Swagger, Cena, Sandow, Corbin, Strowman, and Otis. I'll give you my four. It's Swagger, Strowman, Otis, and uh, Cena. So this oh, is- no, not Cena. Sandow. Sandow. This is the list that we're working with. We're working with um, seven names. Unless anybody wants to make the argument for like a you know, Del Rio being worse or something like that. But that's just a different story, I think. Um, I kind of think Sandow's a guarantee for worst. Cena is pretty much a guarantee for worst. Then it's kind of tough, because it's like, I wouldn't put Swagger down for worst over Corbin, Strowman, and Otis. And then I don't know if I'd put Kennedy down for worse over Corbin, Strowman, and Otis, because I kind of don't blame Kennedy. A little bit, you know, like his injury gets in the way, whereas like Otis is just a complete failure for it. I don't blame Otis for it either. It's, you know, creative. But like, I feel more disappointed with Corbin's than I do with Kennedy's. And I feel more disappointed with Strowman's than I do with Kennedy's. And I feel more disappointed with Otis in general with this whole thing than I do with Kennedy. I'd kind of go with those five. And I'd narrow it down to four, obviously, because that's the point. I agree. Would we lock in Sandow and Cena? No. 
I'd lock in Sandow. No, I'd lock in Cena. Well, yeah, we could potentially lock in this. <laughs> no, no, but, no, but I wouldn't lock in Sandow. I think uh, for me, it's it's Otis, Strowman, Corbin, and Cena. Because Sandow has that match with Cena. All right, you know what? I'll accept that. Well, none of these people, none of these other ones have a definitive match. I mean, you could say that Cena has the match with Punk, but that match ends in like a fucking DQ. If that's our group of five, I, I guess let's just you know, for the sake of making things official do we lock in otis because it's just it was a joke that led nowhere yeah. and then he loses yeah. it and he doesn't even yeah. get a match because mm-hmm. so is... he loses to the worst champion ever and roll up i feel i feel because... confident with uh with the stroman uh with the corbin lock in that that really was just disappointing we lock in stroman because he absolutely does nothing with the briefcase except get beaten up by brock lesnar with it <laughs> Yeah, and his and his cash in ends in a no contest. And I'd, lean, I'd lean more towards Sandow than Cena for that other one, though. You know what, though, but Callum is right. At least Sandow has the personalized briefcase. He has a lot of stuff, and you know, Cena just has it for a week just to teehee. You know, like. But is it more and- problematic that Cena has it just to set up a match versus Sandow has it and they could have done something and they wait? and they beat him over and over again, and then he also loses, and then they don't do anything with him afterward, too. I think there's way I'd, more I'd, negatives I'd to Sandow's. Well, no, I'd partly say that Sandow's one is more meaningful because he does lose the briefcase. Because up to that point, nobody had really lost the briefcase. So his one is actually more meaningful than John Cena's one. Isn't that more, like, infamous, though? Well, but right, but it does prove that the briefcase isn't infallible. You know, like... You need, proves- you need, you needed at some point. You needed someone to fail the cash in, not to properly fail the cash in, because otherwise it's just, it's just a device that you just like. Okay, you're essentially crown, you essentially crowning a new world champion here. Sandow's moment gives the belt, that gives the briefcase some element of jeopardy to it. Obviously, they've beaten it over the head too many times. It shouldn't, ha- it shouldn't happen like ninety-five percent of the time. The person winning should cash in, but you should always. But Sandow always, always given us that element of doubt. Now, yeah, you know, I'd say Sandow had the personalization. He held it a lot longer and had that good, had that match with John Cena that I still remember pretty much from start to finish. Cena's one. It, the issue is the fact is, is that Cena, Cena never needs anything like that. It was just another thing to give to John Cena. He could have just challenged CM Punk for a match at Raw 1000. Yeah, I am. I'm gonna agree. Cena's was worse. All right, well then that's uh, that's two then for Cena. So that ends up being uh, Otis Corbin, Strowman, and Cena as the worst Mister Money in the Bank winners. We gotta. I like when we do the two first. Because obviously we're not going to go back and do a whole other discussion and be like, all right, let's break down all these all over again with the whole thing. You know, it makes sense to just do both at the same time. <laughs> and we don't have say... the ability to really say like, who the, for the Miz Money in the Bank, there's been four of them. So we, you know, those four <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm going to just say real quick, I always love these discussions. This was a much longer discussion than I would have intended. And I'd like to thank Callum for being so spirited, despite how late it is in his time zone. <laughs> well, I, I yeah. I didn't expect it to be both. Essentially, this is a Mount Rushmore and also a definitive history of everyone who's ever won the money in the bank and what <laughs> happened with it, which I think we probably, I mean, hopefully people enjoyed it and stuff like that because it's, it's nice to go like, down memory line, that sort of thing. 
maybe it just wasn't maybe people actually just know what these people actually did with the briefcase and stuff like that we just have to say yes or no well, well, we I, are getting I think that that's now, why we where... have the discussion because if not then it would have just been like all right well then if you know then i pick this guy this guy this guy then it's a five minute podcast well, you know yeah and i know it's good to tell the history and stuff like that but maybe we didn't have to like you know spend 20 minutes talking about rob van der <laughs> well i probably wouldn't have <laughs> Well, I, I, I defend you and stuff like that. Could, could, could we just um, clarify the B tier is going to be if we've got the four locked in? The B tier is the the Miz, Rob Van Dam, Brian, and Kane, or Carmilla or something. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, kind of almost definitive C tier. We have Carmella, Randy Orton. Actually, then then at that point, then that's a whole other thing. So we don't need to have a C tier. But um, yeah. Yeah, all right. So I'll add that down to the list. I always add these for the wiki for anybody that's interested. These go up on there at some point. So if you want to quickly browse and not listen to previous episodes or something, then you can see a list of like top rope list type stuff. But if you want to know why we get to those kind of options, then that's why you got to listen to the podcast. But this is a much, much better. I love doing the things that are like this where you can talk previous things and not just necessarily have to be like, all right, let's do a whole podcast about Dewdrop and uh even marie or a whole podcast about anything going on right now really for the most part but um the game plan to follow up for the next couple of episodes and stuff is still kind of up in the air at least to a certain extent not really like 100 set in stone but we do kind of have some ideas where next week oddly enough is episode number 500 so right now the game plan is still to do what we had mentioned before to go back to episode 16 on the show and reevaluate what the roster was like back then and see how things have played out over the past, you know, 500 plus episodes where uh, we're going to do that. We're going to look back on names that aren't on the roster anymore. Now people that have retired, people that have been forced to no longer wrestle anymore. People that are wrestling for other companies, people that are still there and maybe have been better or worse. And that's just kind of a way to, look back and see how things have changed over such a long time of doing this podcast. Uh, we will do a hot tags before that. That's coming up at some point this week. This is um, dynamites on Saturday night, right? So we'll probably do that on Friday night then the way that we normally have been doing it. So that way we'll be able to talk about SmackDown and some other things we might not, we might do it another time. Kind of depends. We'll see. It'll come up when it comes up. And if you're subscribed and you ring that notification bell, you'll know when it's up. If Same thing with you uh, following Facebook and Twitter. Same thing with you following the website. You know, it'll cop, uh, come up at some point. And then uh, the week after next, when we get to episode number 501, the current game plan for July 7th is to do the quarter three mailbag. And we are not just doing the mailbag, but we're also doing the qualifying round of the heat of the moment tournament. So if you have any mailbag questions that you want to send in in advance, send them in now. I'll backlog them and we'll get around to them. But we're going to do that live on YouTube. So if you can join us for it, then that'd be even better. We got those things coming. And then eventually Money in the Bank is going to be happening the week after that. So there will be some other things in the mix too. We'll, I'll probably do a call to spot on the website for the people that are in Money in the Bank. We might end up, if we have the time, trying to do another fan ounce table of some sort. It's a little bit harder with the Peacock stuff, but yeah, we might be able to do it. And basically, if you stay tuned and you follow what we've got going on, 
you got other stuff that you could be checking out too. So follow me at Tony Mango. Follow this Mark Out Moment stuff. Follow all the Fanboys Anonymous stuff. Check out the Review to a Kill podcast and all the things that are happening over there. And follow what these guys have going on as well, mostly on the pro wrestling spectrum. But hey, you're listening to that, so you're probably into it. Rob? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Dude Felice and check out everything I'm doing over at Fightful.com and WrestleZone.com. And just stay tuned for more fun stuff like the retro stuff I've done with Callum. Callum? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. If you're interested in retro wrestling content, then there's always 2001 A Wrestling Odyssey and the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast over on the Smart Cat Moment uh, YouTube channel and archive. So just check all that stuff out. Uh, there might be some more stuff with that coming down the pipeline, but because we like looking back at the past because the future is not bright. <laughs> in general and uh obviously check out all the articles on smartcomer.com as well including the power rankings my weekly contribution but make sure you're keeping your eyes peeled to everything that's going out on the website as well who's uh currently winning the fantasy league and how badly oh, am you i losing to... I, I actually actually that's a good time to talk about that because we are fresh off of um hell in a cell so things have changed in the fantasy league so after Hell in a Cell, obviously, if people don't understand, no, well, it's obviously all the rules are on the website. But at this, uh, if you are unaware, whoever wins the uh, pay-per-view prediction contest gets to make uh, more changes to their roster of people than the people that lose. That's like your little bonus for getting the uh, being good at predictions. So the winner of the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view prediction contest was Tony. Ooh. Uh, I finished second place over Rob due to the fact that I got close to the time for the uh, Hell in a Cell main event than Rob did. Damn it. So, so yeah, we, we drew, but I got that extra little bump up for that. That meant that Tony was able to make three changes to his team. So he decided to drop Shayna Baszler, Saray, and Sheamus replacing them with Finn Balor, Eva Marie, and Becky Lynch. I got two picks. I decided to drop both um, Damian Priest and Nia Jax for Kofi Kingston and do drop. <laughs> Rob only got to make one change and decided to drop, um, just seeing it on the list here, drop Jinder Mahal for Sonya Deville. Yep, Kevin gonna just abuse that whole. Hey, they're on TV for twenty seconds. Look what I'm doing. This gets me points. In terms of yeah. overall standings, it is incredibly close, which is good. This is this is a sign really? that the changing format happened. Yep, because like about this time last year, I was already significantly ahead of a lot of people. Me and Tony had kind of said, okay, us two are gonna be fighting for the trophy, and uh, Robin Wago are gonna be battling for last place. Pretty much by this point. Instead, at this point, it is remarkably close. There is only seven points separating all three of us. Shit, I thought that I was, like, vastly behind. Uh, you scored 60 points for Hell in a Cell. Nice. Week, so you came, you were far behind, but you came roaring back on that one. So, at the moment, Rob is in last place on 228 points. Uh-huh. <laughs> Time ran for me. Tony's in second place with two hundred with two hundred and twenty nine points, just one point ahead. I am in first place on two hundred and thirty five points. So yeah, it's very close. This week has been a low scoring week so far. Well, it was until NXT. So just to give a little bit of a rundown, Tony's currently on three points for this week. 
because Riddle was the only person on his thing that's either won or appeared, pretty much. Yeah, they really fucked me over with some of these things. Yeah, both Drew McIntyre and even Marie lost matches, and Wesley didn't even appear on NXT. In any capacity that was, like, really beyond just, like, you know, them hyping up the fact they're going to be fighting for the tag title soon. So, yeah. Um, Rob has only had three people appear on TV, so he hasn't really had the chance to make any points. Correct. So n- none of his people have had a match this week so far. So. Smackdown will do some good. Uh, I'm doing well because of both Adam Cole and Frankie Minai. So I'm currently Tony is getting three points for this week. Rob's got six. I've got 20. So yeah, planning on building up the lead as long as SmackDown does me well. But yeah, that's how the Fantasy League is shaking up at the moment. So it's a very close contest. So keep on keep on top of everything by checking out the uh, Fantasy League play- page over on the Smart Camo website. The easiest way to get to that is just to go to WWEFantasyLeague.com. So pay attention to everything that's happening on the website and the channels and the social media accounts and everything else, you know, hang out, drop your comments below. Hopefully you had fun checking this out and let us know what you'd like to see in the future because, you know, eventually we're going to get another blank week coming up and we're going to factor that all in and keep things rolling. So next time around, it's going to be the hot tags and we'll see you then, whether it's Friday afternoon, Friday night or Saturday morning or 20 years from now, if you check this out, I don't know. Whatever it is, we'll see you next time, everybody. But this has been another Smart Out moment, and we're being counted out.